0: Good evening, depending upon where you are on this spinning globe we call the Earth. And you're probably wondering why you're not hearing Richard's voice tonight. Richard uh, fell ill this afternoon. He's not feeling well. And, you know, there's nothing that could keep him away from doing this show. So, you know, he's he's got to be hurting if he had to cancel. I mean, I could tell he was... Kind of heartbroken as he's been looking forward to this weekend and uh, He's very excited and he's probably been overdoing it So uh, I'm filling in my name is Jonathan Womack I'll be your host tonight and we have a wonderful lineup of guests who are going to share some Outstanding excellent information for us all and We don't have the web page up for tonight unfortunately So we're going to be winging it, (laughs) but we will get through this and it's going to be a great show. And uh, thank you all for being here. We have with us tonight, Rick Levine. He's an uh, astrologer extraordinaire. He's been on the show a number of times before. Very knowledgeable and entertaining. We have Georgia Lambert, who is a show regular and, of course, Georgia is a wonderful teacher of all things esoteric. She has a unique perspective on the world and things that are going around on around us. And uh, we also have David Cerrito with us. David has been part of uh, the last month of shows and our efforts to contact Oumuamua. He's a numerologist and filmmaker and has uh, many credentials and we also have Michael Lee Hill, who has been on the show. And uh, Michael is a contactee and has developed these um, crystals that channel energy and refine water and other magical things. And let's see, who am I for? Is that everybody? Did I forget anyone? I think that's everybody. Robert Morningstar will be joining us the third hour. So welcome, everyone. Uh, Thank you for being here tonight. And we're going to kick off with uh, Rick and Georgia. Rick, Richard wanted to talk about this formation in the sky. It's, It's a square. So there's this planetary alignment taking place. And he figured you and Georgia were the best people to... Explain why this is important. So, okay, Georgia,
1: let's do it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you're up, sweetie. (laughs)
1: Uh, You know, starting here with basics. It's uh, uh, for those people who don't know about real astrology. What we look at is repeating patterns of the planets and how they make patterns not only to fixed objects in the sky we call stars, um, but to each other. And for example, we look at the new moon, full moon cycle, and once every moon, the moon catches up to the sun, and um, and that's and, and a month is basically one lunar or moon cycle, roughly. You can do this same thing with any pair of planets, and just like the moon's um, uh, cycle to the sun, the moon going around the earth, the moon catches up to the sun. And if it does that once every 28, 29 days, then a half of a cycle from a new moon to a full moon, um, the ancients called a fortnight, which we moderners don't use that much or hardly at all. But that was once as important a measurement as a day, a week, or a month. A fortnight was two weeks, half of a lunar cycle, and half of a fortnight is a week. And so we all use these as terms of measurement and my point here is that we take the sun cycle, the moon cycle to the sun, and we divide it in half. And in astrology, that's an opposition, like a full moon. And then we divide it in half again, and that's when two planets form a ninety-degree angle one to the other. And that, um, as as you said, was a square. Now, every pair of planets has this cycle between them. Um, the, out, the further out we go, the slower the cycles, the longer term the cycles, the longer the time between these um, cycles. For example, if we were to take Neptune and Pluto, they only catch up to one another once every 400 years. But we have been experiencing um this year and actually for the last few years a um how do i say this an intersection of a handful of very rare rhythms that make it even more rare um on january 12th saturn caught up to pluto as it does three times a century always an important marker um that marker on its um lineup and its opposition the halfway through the cycle mark off within a few weeks, things like um, uh, like Martin Luther um, writing his theses and kicking off the Protestant Reformation, um, to the height of the bubonic plague, to the World Trade Tower uh, bombings, to the beginning of World War One. I. Uh, I mean, the list is on and on and on and on. And that happened in early January of 2020, which within a within a day, you know, of the announcement of the uh, Wuhan. Uh, the morphology or the genome of the Wuhan virus and the first mortality. Um, And so we're coming on the heels of this 2020 cycle. And into 2021, Saturn basically made a 90 degree angle with Uranus. It takes Saturn um, roughly 30 years, 29 and a half years to go around the sun once. And it takes Uranus about 84 years to go around the sun once. So it basically takes Saturn 30 years to go around once and then about another half to catch back up to Uranus, which has moved down the road a bit. So it turns out that Saturn lines up with Uranus like a new moon lining up with the sun once every 45 years. Saturn lined up with Uranus back in in, in 1852 and then in, I think, 1897 and then it was 1942, and then 1988, and 2021. Now, what do you um, think so is happening, 40- Rick,
0: when, when this takes
1: place? Yes.
0: How do you think it affects mankind? And- well,
1: that's, that's, that's where we're going, and I just wanted people to understand that this is a real and natural rhythm. Now, how it affects mankind is, is this. In astrology, every planet carries its own symbolism, its own archetypal uh, archetypal um, reference, if you will. Saturn is authority. Saturn represents structure. Saturn represents stability. Saturn represents karma. It's if you do the hard work, you get positive results. Saturn represents conserving energy and making things last crystallization the ancients believed that when things came into this world that they had to come through the gate of Saturn first to take physical form that Lucifer became a fallen angel as it fell through the gates as he fell through the gates of Saturn and in fact there is a similarity of etymology etymology between Saturn and Satan well that's funny Uranus Uranus can I throw in
0: something here Rick? yeah go ahead the rumor is that there is a small black hole near Saturn, and I thought it was interesting when I was watching the, the film Man of Steel. Uh, Krypton blows up, and Superman's ship heads for our solar system, <laughs> and it arrives through the black hole near Saturn, and I just find that interesting, and, you know, it has the rings, of course. Those are key in in some fashion, and all the moons orbiting Saturn, that's all part of the mechanics, right?
1: Well, um, yeah, I can't comment on the black hole. I certainly can comment on the idea that every single atom is a miniature black hole at the center. Uh, The works of Nassim Haramein, uh, you know, and other, you know, well, and even Richard's work in hyperdimensional physics. The the idea of there just being one black hole from which everything comes is, or which everything goes into, is is a bit archaic. Regardless, in the late 1700s, Uranus was discovered, and and the discovery of Uranus was a shock. Why? Because for thousands of years, Saturn was the slowest thing observable in the sky. Nothing moved slower than Saturn until you went out to the fixed stars. They didn't appear to move at all. And so, when Uranus was discovered. Um, In the late 18th century, um, it was a real shock because overnight, our real estate tripled. Um, Saturn being a roughly 30-year cycle, Uranus being nearly 90 years, actually 84 years. Um, And Uranus represents everything that's Promethean. What do I mean by that? Prometheus, as you probably know, stole fire from the gods and gave it to mankind. It's kind of about innovation and invention. Um, Uranus... Is the planet of rebellion. It it, it has to do with um, breaking free of Saturn's boundaries. Saturn is the limit. Saturn is the you know is the um, is, is the outward circumference. And Uranus basically says, boom, you're gone. Um, you know, it, it's like uh, instantaneously um, breaking down a wall, um, almost like lightning striking. You have opposites, uh, positive and negative charge in a, in the atmosphere. And when lightning strikes for a moment, that charge is obliterated. And so you have what we've been experiencing this year, 2021. And because of the retrograde motion, that's the apparent motion of the planets. um, It looks like from Earth's point of view that Saturn is 90 degrees to Uranus three times. The first time was in mid-February, actually February 17th. The second time... Um, that um, that they were exactly 90 degrees to one another was June 14th, and the third and final time um, was on Christmas Eve. Um, with depending upon where you were on the planet, um, on the West Coast, it was 11. The exact moment was 11:16 on December 23rd. But that means if you were anywhere else in the United States, Mountain Time to Eastern Time, that occurred early in the morning on the 24th. Regardless, that's the third and final time that this aspect was exact, although I should say before going on that in 2022, they get very close to being inexact again, but they're not quite exact, but we're not going to get done with these issues. Your question was, how does this affect us? Saturn, the planet of stability, is at odds with Uranus, the planet of innovation. Saturn, the planet of old, is conflicting with Uranus, the planet of new. Saturn, the planet of conservative, political, conservative, is square or 90 degrees, duking it out with the progressives. Saturn, the planet of, um, of wanting to go back to the way things were for stability, is square to Uranus, the future, innovation, and technology. Uranus is the planet of knowledge. So this is really what we've been seeing playing out on the Earth plane through 2021 as part of an even much larger scenario that I don't have time to go into now, but it's that that culminated in its exactness on Christmas Eve, which is why we're talking about it now, and I would suggest that amongst other things on uh, some of the issues at hand with the Saturn squaring Uranus. Um, is the um, uh, COVID and and the pandemic and whatever the information is that may be suppressed around that? We're not going into that rabbit hole right now. Um, but that's one of the issues around the Saturn Square Uranus, the power structure, the authority, the um, you know the government institutions at odds with Uranus. Those people who are saying no, or the you know whether they're innovative or Or crazy I mean it's you know I'm not making judgment here Um, the fact is that that's one of the issues another issue is certainly the whole political thing in the United States but you can also look at disclosure as Saturn the structure that wants to keep things the way they were keep things you know silent um, and Uranus the we need to bust this through and bring it out into the open and I think that that's part of why we're talking about this here and tonight
0: Very interesting. Now, what do you think about that, Georgia?
2: Um, A couple of different things. First of all, uh, let me add to uh, Rick's uh, definition of a fortnight. Um, Way back in the 60s, there was a book written by Tom Graves called Needles of Stone, and he did some really interesting experiments um, cataloging the movement of energy uh, from the atmosphere, down the standing stones into the earth, and then from the earth's upward standing stone back into the atmosphere. Each was a, a, a two-week period. So a fortnight also describes the breath of the earth, the in-breath and the out-breath. This is also mirrored in the human body. Our cerebrospinal fluid, is manufactured in two spaces on either hemisphere called ventricles. The cerebrospinal fluid is manufactured there. It moves to the center of the head in the third ventricle, down to the fourth ventricle at the base of the skull, down the spinal column, uh, the spinal cord, bathing the spinal cord, and its movement back up to be reabsorbed into the brain takes 28 days. Mm -hmm. So the human body is in tune with the breath of the Earth, which can be divided into fortnights.
1: Yeah, I mean, thank you for that, Georgia. And in fact, um, that work and that idea of atmospheric changes based upon um, two planets aligning, in this case the sun and the moon, and then those two planets being opposite one another, in this case, the full moon, the sun and the moon, that thing that we call a fortnight, which measures that between perhaps the two strongest things in the sky from Earth's point of view, the sun and the moon, that those same, um, that those, those, those same um, points in other planetary cycles were shown to have effect on crystal structures by a, um, a, a chemist. Um, a pharmacist, actually a chemist in, in Europe, a pharmacist in the early 20th century who was a student of Rudolf Steiner's. Um, her name was Lily Kalisko, and she showed how different metal salts, based upon the salts of the different associated with the planets, could not find crystalline structure um, when two planets were aligned, one of them being the planet having to do with that metal. For example, Venus is associated with copper. And so when when Venus aligns with um, when the moon aligns with Venus once a month for a few hours, you can't get copper sulfate to crystallize and so on. But it's the same thing that you're talking about, that occurring in a natural form in. Um, I love the title of that book, Needles of Snow. You know, it just really catches what, you know, what these standing stones actually are.
2: And in. And- to add to what you were just saying, uh, of course, going back to the Middle Ages, we see uh, numerous tomes written about certain phases of the moon or planets when certain medicinal plants were harvested and, and processed. Uh, and, and also talking about the metals. Uh, in the East, we know that the energy centers of the body or chakras are shown as lotus blossoms or fiery wheels. In the West, they're shown as mythological animals or metals or planets. And so a lot of the medieval texts, particularly those Christian and alchemical texts, um, have double meanings when they're talking about certain metals in alignment with certain
1: planetary, uh, activity. Yeah. The whole thing between metals and planets is fascinating. There's a book by a friend of mine, uh, Nick, uh, um, uh, actually, um, um, uh, Nick, um, uh, I said he's a friend of mine. That means, of course, I forgot his last name for a second. <laughs> It'll come back to me. Um, I can see him. He stayed at my home. Okay. So anyhow, the, the book is called the, um, the, Met, um, Metals and the Planets, and it was printed originally by Borderline Press, Tom Brown, um, back in the, jeez, I don't know, maybe in the um, 80s, late 80s or early 90s. And it is a deep dive into this association of the metals and the planets. The ancients knew about it. The ancients knew, you know, that gold was the sun on Earth, silver, the moon, Mercury, Mercury, copper, Venus, iron, Mars, um, uh, tin, Jupiter, and lead, Saturn. Um, And all of that's true, but that all gets away from really what we're here to talk about, and that is that right now, tonight, yesterday, this week, last week, we have Saturn squaring Uranus, and we are at one of those bending points where throughout this whole year we've been doing this battle, or we've been observing it or participating in it, um, of the old versus the new, of the status quo, Saturn versus the innovation of what will be. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as we, you know, kind of move into 2022 and 2023.
0: Well, it makes me wonder, Rick, if, if the hard planets, the rock planets are being affected and metals are affected. I wonder if these alignments have any effect on the gas
1: planets. Well, I think, I, I think well, everything affects... Esoterically,
3: it would be yes. Yeah, I think
1: everything affects everything, But, my, but my, and, and of course Saturn and Jupiter are both gas planets, but my, my feeling is that the, the size, the magnitude, the, the power, if you will, of Jupiter and Saturn would be that those gas planets have more of an effect on us than the other um, solid planets.
0: Mm-hmm. That'll make sense. Well, Michael, what do you think of this? Do you have uh, – is there anything you want to add? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs>
4: um, think I, uh, it's
0: affecting your um, – what do you call your devices, your your magical crystals there? What's the proper I, I name? I call them
4: Anunnaki energy disks. Um, Richard has begun calling them hyperdimensional magical disks. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I – uh. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I talked to Richard about this. I'm really like, I feel like the Forrest Gump of all this. I'm like this rock and roll guitar player. All of a sudden there was just had some crazy stuff thrown in my lap and I'm learning um, about astrology and everything else. And I feel like I'm a a child in the classroom and I wouldn't dare give you an opinion because uh, it would be
5: wrong.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I could I could throw something in here. Um, obviously, Richard talks about wheels within wheels within wheels, and of course, cycles within cycles within cycles. The metaphysical model definitely states that we are at a, at a time, obviously, the change of an age, uh, where we're facing exactly what Rick is talking about this this impulse to stay where we are versus the impulse for the expansion of consciousness. Yeah. And that um, there's there's a line, I always quote it from an old Broadway play called Man of La Mancha, where the sidekick uh, says, it doesn't matter whether the rock hits the pitcher or the pitcher hits the rock, it's going to go bad for the pitcher. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like, You know, despite the resistance, the baby is going to be born, whether the mother's in a field or well cared for. It's just how uncomfortable we're going to make this transition for ourselves. But transition, we will. Well, I'll tell you, when I
4: met the Anunnaki, which was in the flesh, the first time was 2008. And that became... That started because I was featured on the History Channel, and they were showing my UFO footage, but I ended up being flown to Boston to have my blood work done by a Harvard professor. His name was David Sistrom, and this was for the UFO Hunters History Channel show, and it was revealed I didn't, I don't have normal human blood. I know that was just about as weird to anyone else as it was to me. But uh, the point of this is right after that, I was met by the Anunnaki in the flesh. And they said, we were once known as the Anunnaki in your past. And they told me you were once known as the water bearer in your past. And um, that made no sense to me whatsoever. But now I can show them the NASA results of technology that revitalizes and resurrects dead water. You know, I can look someone in the eye and go, you know what, I am the water bearer. but the point is that when I met them, they said that their whole way of relating the mankind and their own succession of kingship was related uh, to the entry of the age of Aquarius. You know, this change of which you're talking about, this change from the old to the new. And um, it's actually to the, the meaning of the morning star, which is very important to the Mayan culture. They called it the Lamat. And um, then it went into the Native American First Nations. It was known as the Morning Star, which is like the compass four-pointed star. But uh, the deal is everyone thought the Mayan calendar ended in 2012, and it's not, because the whole way of Anunnaki keeping time is 432-based. There's 43,200 seconds in 12 hours. It's all 432, and... um, so I'm watching 2012. I'm like, wait a minute, that resolves to a five. It can't be the end of their calendar. And um, sure enough, they put a crop circle that was a seven-pointed star with 14 baktuns. And those each baktun is 144,000 days. It's a long count in the Mayan calendar. So it's pretty easy math. You just do 14 times 144,000 get two zero one six zero, zero 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 zero. The ending of the age of Pisces and into the age of Aquarius was twenty sixteen, December twenty first. And shockingly Richard Hoagland was like, Oh yeah, I've been telling people it's four years off. And i well, you are absolutely right. But uh man, here's the deal is I've learned from the Anunnaki themselves exactly what happened and they this experiment to accelerate human conscious evolution by making us experience our own mental energy in an accelerated fashion, unbiasedly,
6: you know, and
4: uh, it all pertains to what we're talking about, because uh, when I met the Anunnaki, they said the minute, the very second we entered the age of Aquarius, this experiment to accelerate human conscious evolution by making us experience our own mental energy in a reflected uh, amplified way would be over. We would either have transmuted our shadow and um, that's really what they're trying to do is make us evolve as quickly as possible.
0: But this is a lot to get into so sometimes I just sit here and... Well one thing I thought about your crystal is that um, these alignments are probably affecting more than crystals and metals. They're probably affecting the Earth's aura, the Schumann resonance. They're probably affecting the oceans. And can you imagine what would happen if we made a huge one of your crystals, made it really big and put it on the ocean floor? <laughs> yeah,
4: you know, it's crazy, though. Elon Musk is taking my image and encasing it in crystal and taking it to the moon in humanity's uh, Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, look what NASA just proved, that when that climatic image is encased in crystal, it's not passive, it's active. And uh, I find it very fascinating how it all lined up for Elon Musk to be taking it there. And, um, and there is you know, water on the moon. And it's broadcasting. You know, you can have a wave guide that amplifies that signal. And, uh, and it's going to be there for the next 10 billion years, raining down that 432 frequency, which is very fascinating to find out. mua mua, you know if we're taking this and we're getting communication uh david Sarita can tell you it's coming in at uh for uh 432 and 144 and it's interesting if your a is tuned properly to 432
0: one of the d octaves is 144 so they're very related mm. yeah i'd like to hear from david too we only have a couple of minutes coming up to the break david do you want to preface anything as we go to the break
7: well first i want to say in the book of isaiah fourteen twelve, there's a really clear description of lucifer falling from the bright and morning star to earth and that would be venus so it, it, it also jesus refers to himself as the bright and morning star in revelation and actually several places so it looks to me like you could say the gods had at times bases, or you could call it uh like the, in the book of ezekiel the wheeled within wheeled motherships because if you read ezekiel properly and i've read the whole ezekiel
6: it,
7: it looks like god is flying on this massive flying saucer sitting on a sapphire throne shining like the sun and and th- they were probably stationed you know, on our nearby neighboring planet Venus. And so when Lucifer gets cast down to the Earth, it, it happens from that station. But I did a study mathematically calculating using NASA data the wavelengths of all the planets and how they each one of them corresponds to one of the five brainwave states in the human brain. For example, mercury produces about just a smidgen under 20 hertz which is the beginning of cognitive human hearing hence it's called the messenger meaning the messenger okay hold
0: it there david we yep. got
7: to take a yep. break
0: uh let's come back and pick that up on the flip side so you're listening to the other side of midnight with richard c hoagland i'm your guest host jonathan womack and we shall return
8: Take a look at what is going on with us now. You have Vax or no Vax, you have mandates or no mandates, you have uh, pharmacies who are not allowed to make a pres- prescriptions on substances that they don't, you know, <laughs> the, that Big Pharma doesn't want them to have anymore. Somebody's be in control of something. There's going to be a time, follow the money, where you're going to say, hey, something really inappropriate's gone on here we're being controlled i mean it's it's one thing to to have mandates and all these and another thing to shut people up who say i would like to talk about this a little bit no you don't you're not going to talk and and so we have uh you know people like uh, dr mercola being shut down that is not us that's not how we operate people ought to at least be allowed to have an opinion and state the opinion and and have a say uh i'd like you to know that a good immune system is going to help you so here are the things for a good immune system but i'm sorry you can't buy them anymore because we're not allowed to so something's going on so that my friend is going to be exposed that's another thing that you're seeing for a while and it won't last forever so it's there now but believe me it ain't going to stay because the light's going to be turned on just like the the abuse uh, that I've just talked about of both women and kids for priests and all. It's here in an ugly way and eventually it's going to be seen. Crime says there'll be revelations or maybe even a movie about it. It's going to be the same thing that happened when we found out with tobacco that they were, of course, addicting our children and they had a cartoon and they knew that it caused cancer and... You know what happened with that, we shut that, basically shut that down, and now we don't smoke anymore. Hi there, this is Lee Carroll, I want to tell you about the other side of the news. In these days where we're not really hearing much good news, or perhaps even what's really happening, that's where the other side of the news is different. And in that, you're going to hear not only controversy, but you're going to hear great things. There can be joyful things, too. I just got done with one of the broadcasts, and I encourage you to take a listen with myself and Monica. But the other side of the news, that's what we need more of in these times.
0: And we are back. This is Jonathan Womack, and we're talking with David Sarita, Michael Lee Hill, Georgia Lambert, and Rick Levine, who is only with us the first hour. So, David, why don't you finish your thoughts, uh, your explanation of the messenger, and then we'll go back to Rick.
7: Yeah, so when you do the calculations of the wavelengths using the same math, it gives you the Earth frequency of 7.83. 7.83 is the theta part of the brain, which is where we dream. It's actually upper theta. So we all dream at the frequency of our own planet. But when you get to the big planets, Jupiter and Saturn, and Jupiter, of course, is the king of the Roman gods, but it's also Dante's sixth heaven, and Saturn is Dante's seventh heaven, those are delta brainwaves. So they're in the deepest part of consciousness, as is Uranus and Neptune. And the delta part of the brain, even though it's known as the unconscious, very few people can be conscious in, in the delta part of the brain, zero to four point something hertz. It's, it's they're very powerful wavelengths, meaning they can physically really move things if you attune to them. And when you get to like Venus, for example, doing the math actually produces an octave of 528, which is the love frequency, right? So if you you know the mathematical formula that gives us the, the, the frequencies of the planet, all of them correspond to the brain. So Therefore, we're almost the muses of the planet. So this this square of of what Jonathan is talking about, Saturn and Uranus, is is these are really powerful wavelengths because they're such long wavelengths. And but our brains have the ability to tune to those wavelengths, and and if we if we go into a state of coherence, we'll we'll really be able to take advantage of that power. So that's why the gods, the, you know, the, the the super gods are attributed to both actually Jupiter and Saturn.
0: Well, so Rick, should we as human beings be doing something during this period or?
1: Uh, Yes. Let me come back to that. I just want to clear up or say one thing. I'm not here to question anyone's, um, um data or sources, um, but I think it's important to understand that when we talk about something like the beginning of the age of Aquarius that the ages are based upon the precession of the equinox it 's a twenty six thousand year cycle that means that each age has a well not has about but has two thousand one hundred and seventy six years in it and when you when you're talking about cycles, the thing about a cycle or a circle is there's no beginning and no ending. It's very difficult to say this happens on such and such a date when we're talking about a 25,920 year cycle. And and I think it's a mistake, or I think it's, I just want to put on the record that, um, I mean, I've done research on this for 20 years, and I would be the first person to say that I do not know when the age of Aquarius begins because, It's impossible to know. Now, if you're getting that downloaded from a particular place and and that's your data, I can't argue with that. But there are people who get other dates downloaded also. And the fact of the matter is that if the age of Pisces began around the birth of Jesus, which is the logical um, and, and accepted view that the um, ages are 2,160 years long, that would mean we're a good century away from entering the age of Aquarius, but there's probably no um, no single moment because we're looking at uh, such a long-term cycle that it's probably um, a couple 100, 200 years or so on either side of the cusp of the edge where there's stuff happening um, that certainly indicates a movement from the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius, the ages go backwards because of the precept- precession of the equinox. it 's like a top that's wobbling, and the earth wobbles backwards once every twenty five thousand nine hundred and twenty years mm. so I mean again i'm not saying this to doubt anyone 's specific data, but I spend a lot of time teaching people about the mechanics of what the ages actually are and and to say that the age begins and an age begins on a certain date um, I think um, it, it can be overstated. That, that, that's- well,
4: we'll have to agree to disagree because they put that date through a crop circle, and it's to me, it's not debatable. If you understand what a baktun is, and you see that there's 14 baktuns, the end of the Mayan calendar ended with the 13th baktun yeah. because it was the end of. The and Age
5: then, when did the Age of
1: Pisces begin?
4: I, I, that I don't care. I, I care where the Age of Aquarius begins. And the Anunnaki says 2016. Okay. That's all. You can believe whatever you want. That's fine. But I think you can actually look at this as, you know, I wanted to get an advanced tassel. I found out, got this equation that extraterrestrials told him would lead to time travel. That equation is F equals uh, one divided by T. And F was frequency. One is one complete cycle. T is time, so if you plug this in, exactly what you're saying, 25,920 year precessional cycle, our largest cycle of time that we use, divided by T, which is the smallest for the most part, is 60, Uh, 25,920 divided by T equals frequency of 432, 432 is how they kept time. There's 43,200 seconds in 12 hours eight thousand six hundred and forty and if you take that number forty three thousand two hundred and multiply the height and width of the pyramid you get the accurate dimensions of planet earth they've been waiting for us to wake up to this information and it all revolves around 432 and i found it very interesting that that is the frequency that this information is coming in for david and jimmy and um you know why 432 why did they go through all of this problem to encode it in earth's civilizations and structures and you know timekeeping uh well right now we found out that when you align with that frequency it brings in energy from another dimension that's brand new information you know it's got to be added um but why 432 well E equals MC squared. E is energy, M is mass, C is the speed of light. But that's only the particle part of the equation. All science now tells us is particle and wave. So where's the wave component? Well, 432 squared, or 432 times 432, becomes C. So the only frequencies that are truly harmonics of light, which everything is built from, is 432-based frequencies. So just run it backwards, 432-based frequencies times 432 becomes C squared times mass equals energy. And I think in the way that they're having me use it, M is photonic light energy. And you can see it being amplified. Um,
7: so. Hey, Michael, Michael, on that note, because today was the third transmission to a Muamua, and I went out at 738 to listen on my radios. And I kept getting the frequency of the math of the Washington Monument, which is a 432 octave tuner, because I, you know, when you do the math as the Washington Monument, either as a dipole or a monopole, it produces a 432 octave. My so boy. tonight I got this number three times, and I'm, I'm going to be sharing it with Richard, and you know, graphically that remember one of the messages we sent to Aumua was the monument the 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 exact frequencies of the washington monument so tonight in the return remember i'm using my meter jonathan and i'm capturing frequencies and i looked at the numbers and i went oh my god that's the monument so then i did the math and it turns out just like you said the other night um michael i mean that you have 108 216 432 when an octave is times two or divided by two to go up or down the, the, the A note of 432. Yes. So it's important to understand that 432 has octaves, and all of the octaves of 432 are all perfect harmonic A notes. And you mentioned this the other night as well. When, you, when somebody tunes their piano to 432, you don't just go to middle A and change it to 432. You have to change all your A notes. And...
4: And every yeah. other note. Yeah, and change every change other
1: note. exactly change every string. You yeah, don't go to a
4: jam note. night with a 440 uh, band and you're tuned to 432. It doesn't work.
1: <laughs> yeah,
7: exactly. you got to change all your other notes because they're all in proportion to each other. So it's actually a big job to, to shift everything correctly. But the fact that this number came in on my radio, wait till you guys see the screen grab, and it's a very simple mathematic. It's actually incredibly simple to do the math and see that what we've been getting back on the radios in these three nights, December 24th, 25th, and 26th, we've we we we've got the royal cubit of almost every civilization, including the most perfect royal cubit that resolves the Great Pyramid of Egypt and Noah's Ark. And now, tonight, I just got the 432 tuner of the Washington monument frequency in my radio. And I captured it three times, which means it's repeating and it's, it's making sure I get it instead of just showing up once. And if you miss it you don't get it, try to say,
0: well, Rick, I'd like to go. Oh, go ahead, Georgia.
2: You know, uh, all of this happening at this particular time, uh, while we still have Rick with us, um, Rick, maybe you can speak to something that is certainly part of the esoteric model, which is that we're building up to something that should peak around 2025. And um, uh, do you have anything that you want to add in, in uh, that particular area?
1: Um, no, the only thing, I mean, there, there are astrologically several important things that change the dynamics as we get into the mid 2020s, really beginning with Pluto's move into Aquarius. Um, Pluto enters Aquarius um, next year in 2023. Um, But in 2025, um, Neptune and Uranus both change signs. And where we've been kind of really living under the influence of squares, conjunctions, and oppositions, which are geometrically sacred, geometrically Uh, stress, tension, dynamic conflict, and and growth, um, that those uh, conjunction squares and oppositions, fourth harmonic, um, rectilinear, if you can think of it that way, um, that 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 geometry by the mid-2020s and onward um, through about 2028-ish or so will really move to a lot of sextiles and trines, um, which have a flow of energy geometrically, it's the equilateral triangle compared to a to a square um and so from that standpoint I, I i think that it's important to understand two things uh three things one is that astrologically these are extraordinary times um i um it, it how do i want to say this the the um number of events and the sequencing of events from the uranus pluto conjunction in the mid 1960s to the Uranus-Neptune conjunction in the early 90s, to the Uranus-Pluto square in 2012 to 2015, to this particular Uranus uh, Saturn-Uranus square, um, combined with some other things, have made this an extraordinary period of time. And it's, in a way, it's almost like, like uh, a giving birth. It's like, it's, it's like the, we're giving birth to a new consciousness um it'll be it's difficult to know which way things are going to go because whenever you have um, enlightenment and new consciousness you also have the fear factor um the saturn coming in with repression um whenever uh, post renaissance in italy you know right after after the renaissance by the late 15th century you had this heavy right-wing repressive you know government come in and so i don't think it's just all good news the fact of the matter is There is something to do about it. And this is what you asked earlier, and that is what can we do about it? Um, Jung very clearly said in the last book he wrote before he died, a book called The Undiscovered Self, um, he said that politicians will never figure out a way. They'll never end um, war, um, that the only way war will stop on the planet is when every soul on the planet becomes um, aware, enlightened, if you will. And Mm -hmm. so what we need to do is not go out and teach others and enlighten them. That's, That's not what we need to do. What we need to do is live our lives as enlightened and as kind and as compassionate as possible, because although there's this cosmic stuff that's always there to think about and to explore, And I'm the original cosmic cowboy. I wouldn't suggest anyone not to do those explorations. However, doing those explorations is only part of the game. The other part of the game is bringing it back into your life, into your home, into your family, into your community, into your government, and not just standing by while the planet trashes out.
0: Yeah, it's it's there to affect the fear factor.
2: Well, esoterically, that is... In perfect alignment, we're, we're moving from what's called the age of the sixth ray to the age of the seventh ray, which is the energy of the last 2000 years or so was the aspiration upward toward the idea of divinity andness and beauty and truth and, you know, the, the, the ideals but the energy that we're moving into has to do with bringing heaven to earth it's like that line from the lord's prayer thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and i think rick is absolutely right that it is incumbent upon all of us to take whatever enlightenment we've been able to achieve and manifest it uh to anchor it to ground it uh here and and this is the, the keynote of the age we're moving into.
1: Yeah, in Georgia, you know, what you're saying is like um we're really talking um uh, Plato or Neoplatonism, but Plato in particular, you know, people are often confused. um they think that soul and, and um and uh, spirit are, are kinda interchangeable.
2: They're and not just very, no. I'm sorry? They're not. They're different. Well
1: you, and you just very, very clearly, very clearly delineated what the two are. Because um, spirit is, um, astrologically, elementally, it's fire and air. It's aspiring toward the heavens. It's uh, Christianity is, you know, is spiritual, not soulful. I'm not saying there's no soul in it, but the religion itself is about reaching toward and, and aspiring toward being godly, so to speak. Whereas soul is the opposite movement. Soul, rather than aspiring, is descending. Soul is the cosmos coming into the body, rather than consciousness consciousness reaching out to the cosmos. And soul is water and earth, and therefore, you know, it's it's down and dirty. It's it's, it's you know, it's New Orleans is soul. It's the mud at the bottom of the river. And so, in a way, um, it's it's this bringing the planets. And this has been a big movement in modern astrology called um experiential astrology and it's it's a matter of fact the guy Thomas Moore the modern thomas moore who wrote all the soul books uh, um uh, the reenchantment of soul in everyday life and soulmates and 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 so on um he talks his his first book was a book called um the planets within the astrological psychology of marsilio ficino that's a whole rabbit hole that we're not going down right now, other than noting that astrologers also have been aspiring and reaching up toward, and Ficino was really the first astrologer who wrote about how we have to take the energy of what's up there and incarnate it, bring it down into our lives and express it, because otherwise it's just, it's just a waste of intellectual energy.
0: Or or as Georgia would say, we're (laughs) the hands and feet of the soul, right, Georgia?
2: (laughs) Exactly. You know, um, people think that initiation is just the expansion of consciousness, but initiation is really a threefold process. It's the consciousness opening up to the new level of reality, Um, but if that that's all there was, all we'd have to do is write all the good stuff down in books, make sure everybody reads the books, and we'd have a changed humanity. But it doesn't work that way because once the consciousness ex- achieves that initiatory expansion into the, the new level of life, the personality has to get used to that expansion. And then the personality has to be able to perform that expansion to make it real down here. And until it's real down here, the initiation isn't finished. And humanity is being offered that as we move into this next age. This is our chance to not only reach for God, but anchor God here in our own lives. If, if all of this esoteric stuff has any value, its value is to make you a better person. And if it doesn't do that, what good is it? Exactly.
4: I agree. totally agree. You know, my wife likes to say, you got to swim the moat, you know, you can gather all the spiritual information, but if you don't start to apply it to your daily life and start to weed the fear and the doubt and the nonsense out of your own belief system, uh, like you said, it, nothing happens. Um, interestingly, the Native American Indians call this the rainbow uh, state that your chakras emanate the colors of the rainbow uh, one of the grandmothers told me and only when it's clean and balanced does it emit light from red in the root to purple in the crown and all the other colors of the chakras uh, for the colors of the rainbow and only until you become deemed rainbow by spirit are you ever given any more manifestation ability because they said spirit's smarter than that if you had six of your seven chakras all shiny and bright but one still dark saves your root chakra and all of a sudden you're blessed with all this extra manifestation ability uh you're it's probably not going to end well you'll just go to the spot that you've not swam the moat and did that work to clear that chakra and you just manifest your fears and uh spirits smarter than that and i heard that tibetans have the exact same idea of the rainbow body and it truly just means uh clear chakras and i think this is a good model for humanity because guess what we can all become rainbow. You know, no one's excluded. It doesn't matter whether you're male, female, what race you are, what color you are. And, but every single person's journey will be different. And, um, I I find great comfort in that.
0: So. If only we had magic glasses that we could put on and you could see everyone's aura
2: actually those were invented in, in the late
0: 30s
4: i say just
2: listen don't speak <laughs> that they I, I, those that's glasses that's were that's those glasses were invented back in the late 1800s early 1900s by uh, a doctor named dr Kilner, who used disyanine dye between uh pieces of glass to make goggles where the uh, medical uh activity could be visualized through these glasses uh, and uh, disease could be seen as distortions in the aura.
3: And anybody hmm.
2: with normal vision could see at least the, the level of the aura. You know, the aura, most people think of the aura as colors. That's part of the astral body's emanation. To be technically correct, your aura Is is the physical radiation you're producing, the physical etheric or energy radiation you're producing, the astral or emotional radiation you're producing, and the mental or thought life you're producing. The aura is technically a combination of all those different levels. And different clairvoyants can see at different wavelengths or different levels.
0: Now, did this show the chakras? If you looked at somebody's spine, would you see... Chakras aligned along there.
2: Yeah, because the aura is actually the radiation that is put out by the chakras or the centers, which are both uh, input areas and radiatory areas.
0: I want a pair. Yeah, that sounds awesome. (laughs) What were you going to say,
7: David? Uh, Well, I was going to say, look, I I've been practicing meditation for over 45 years every day. And I studied with a lot of teachers, but the, uh, the rainbow body phenomenon really interested me. And so what I did is I went to the master high, highest absorption point of all your nine primary colors, right? So you have red, orange, yellow, lemon, um, green, blue, uh, turquoise, um, um, blue, indigo, and violet. So you got nine colors. And when I went to their master frequencies, which means if you go in a true rainbow from the light from our sun, there's a number in the trillion hertz band for each color. And if you come down 48 octaves for each color, so nine times 48 is actually 432, there's exactly 432 color frequencies in the rainbow. In if If you starting from the delta part of the brain, it's actually between delta and theta, and you go all the way up forty eight octaves, you're at the top of the rainbow, which is the which is the highest frequency for each color. And the fact that four thirty two showed up there again was remarkable. So what I did for healing purposes for people is I because in, in my business, I make therapeutic coil systems that people lay on and they also can put in their room i literally transmitted all of the color for all of the 432 color frequencies into my body and i started seeing rainbows everywhere i literally started seeing it and when i meditate every day at this point it only takes about 10 minutes for a super supreme blissful state to emerge in in my consciousness. And it's so intensely ecstatic and blissful. It At times, it's difficult to be in that state on earth. It's very difficult because you're so high. There are times where I say, Jesus, how did you walk around like this? And, and, and that he was even higher. How could anyone be this blissed out and be on the earth? Well, the rainbow body is is, is a practice. Of, of doing toning exercises, actual sound exercises. What is there,
0: David? Um, the rainbow okay, yeah, body. we're at the top of the hour.
7: We're at the rainbow top of the body. Hour. Yes, okay. remember that. We'll come. I back have a video this. of this.
0: Okay, and Rick, um I know you have to leave. Would you like to wrap up? Do you have any final thoughts you want to add? Rick, are you there?
1: I'm sorry, I was on mute. The only thing that I can think of that, that is important to understand is that when we're looking at these celestial objects, they are, um, and, and, I, and, I, and I think that um, someone, John um, um, uh, said this, or yeah someone said this, and that is, we. it's a mistake to look at them as particles. Saturn is a particle and it is ringed, Uranus is a particle of planetary planets, most of them have some sort of ring structure. But the fact is that they're waveforms and that the way you measure waveforms is you have to find something stable that's either a background to measure it against or the stability of the points that they make when in they as they interfere with one another and the saturn uranus cycle about a 45 year cycle um that it is at maximum stress maximum maximum tension through 2021 It'll ease off, but it's not going to be gone until early 2023 um, because they come back very close together again due to the retrograde phenomena. So we'll be talking about this still next year, Um, but tonight is is the night um, for the third and final exact, or as we astrologers say, perfected Saturn-Old-Uranus-New conflict. Awesome.
0: Very cool. Well, thank you for coming on the show, Rick, and we'll have you back for another session. We really appreciate your time.
1: All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye, Rick. Bye. Bye, Good to hang with you again.
0: And we'll be back soon, right after this break. You're listening to The Other Side of Midnight with Richard C. Hoagland. I'm your host, Jonathan Womack.
9: 72 vaccines, your children will get, um, as of right now, before they're 18, and that number is doubling very quickly in the near future. And guys, the thing that bothered me so much is I had no idea back then in 98 that there were a lot of people talking about vaccines, but what I know now and what I learned in 2010, and your listeners have to understand this, in 2010, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that all vaccines are unavoidably unsafe. And let me say that again. Um, 2010, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that all vaccines are unavoidably unsafe. This should be very eye-opening to anybody out there because what they're telling you that now is if you vaccinate your children, you have to deal with the consequences because they've just told you that all vaccines are unavoidably unsafe. And most of that now... In 2018, Robert Kennedy Jr. and Big Tree put in the Health and Freedom of Information Act to have the safety studies released. Okay. If your listeners don't know this, in 1986, Ronald Reagan passed the Vaccine Injury Act, which said the vaccine companies are exempt of any and all liability. But Reagan said, look, if we're going to give them blanket liability, we've got to at least make them do safety studies every other year not every year but every other year so they sued to have those safety studies released and we've always heard that vaccines are safe and effective safe and effective safe and effective but when they got the report back it was 100% empty not one single safety study has been done on any of the vaccines since 1986 and this should be very 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 disturbing to all you guys That's what began to wake me up as far as vaccines were my children back in 98 when the medical doctors couldn't give me the safety studies. Guys, this is Christopher Key. Never forget it. It's Christ Ofer. Christ is in me. He's in my name. Never forget my last name. It's Key, K-E-Y. God's given us the keys to unlock the doors that Satan never wanted unlocked, and we do it for our children. I so enjoyed the show tonight. The other side of the news is beyond fabulous.
0: And we are back. I wanted to mention something Richard talked about last night and he wanted me to mention tonight and that is that we need resources we need money donations we need volunteers and if you're listening tonight and you have some expertise that would help our cause uh, we would appreciate you contacting us and um, from there I want to share before we go to David Sarita I just want to mention a simple exercise that I learned in the martial arts years ago. We'd have a harsh grueling class and at the end we would sit in lotus position. You imagine a ball in your hand, a chi ball, and you move the ball to the base of your spine, up your back, up to the top of your head, down the front of your body, and, and repeat. And we would just sit there and meditate that way for a few minutes. And if you do it right, you're your face flushes red because all the blood is going to your head for whatever reason. But, um, yeah, so anybody can do that and it's a rejuvenation kind of exercise. It, it energizes you. So now David, you were talking about the rainbow body. Do you want to?
7: Yeah, I was, I, I went to India and met with the Dalai Lama and studied with Tibetan Buddhists. And I went to the, to the place of where the Buddha was enlightened in Bodh Gaya. And when you sit down with the Tibetans, they'll tell you that the the Buddhism we get in the West for Tibetans is, is not real Tibetan Buddhism, but the it's, it's just kind of the way it gets translated into our language. But to understand rainbow body and understand that, that our bodies are absorbing sunlight. So we are absorbing and photosynthesizing all of the primary, the nine primary colors. And then there's combination colors that emerge from the, from the blending of your nine primary colors. But, but I, I actually made a chart and I calculated all nine colors times 48 octaves brought me to, the, the, the birth of consciousness coming out of delta, which is the unconscious, and coming into theta is was my bottom octave. So each color had 48 octaves times nine colors. It's 432 octave frequencies for all your nine primary colors. And actually in the Gospel of Philip, which was banned by the early church fathers, Jesus describes how you throw... Seventy-two colors into a vat, and they all come out white. Again, if you take nine colors times eight audible octaves, because remember, the 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 forty-eight octaves going all the way to the height of each color are are the are mostly not audible, meaning the octaves are too high for the human ear, because the human ear starts at twenty hertz and goes to twenty thousand hertz. So, what's amazing is that. In the audible band, you know, you've got eight octaves times nine colors is 72 colors. So there's Jesus telling you the secret to the rainbow body in the Gospel of Philip, which, which, which he's actually referring to a, an ancient practice of where you do this musical toning, producing vowel sounds for each of those pitches. And those pitches in those days had to be learned by a perfect oral master because you you didn't have what's called a tone generator to teach you what is the perfect, you know, frequency. Right? Or
0: like a shaman in the Native American.
7: Right, right. You would learn perfect pitch. And and so when a student is learning how to tone at perfect pitch to work through a whole band of frequencies, that would activate their rainbow body. In the Tibetan system, what I learned is, It's years and years of toning and sound work. So there's so much sound in the Tibetan practice. There's also a lot of silence, but there's an enormous amount of sound work with with many instruments. And then they do a lot of toning work with their voices. So when you hear the Tibetans chanting, that's, that's their toning work. But you can't just do it for a couple of years and think you're going to get rainbow body activation. But when the rainbow body is activated, you go into this supreme, absolutely blinding light bliss state. And the the bliss ecstasy is so obviously notable. it, It eradicates all of your memory and perceptions of suffering. There is no more suffering when all of your colors are activated. So another thing I did with my chart of all the 432 rainbow frequencies among the nine colors, I, I, I made a video, which I, I just put up on the chat there where, where you can share it. But I also generated those frequencies so that people can get all those frequencies in their body magnetically in the space of about an hour. So in that hour practice, where you lay on one of my bed systems, you can you can have every one of those 432 rainbow frequencies activated in your body, and your your body will recognize them. For example, the the Tesla human resonance of 7.83 hertz fundamental happens to be an octave of green; hence, the Earth base of all the plant life on Earth is green because 7.83 hertz is green, and 432 appears to be in the, um, the gold band, like actual gold. <laughs> like, so that is pretty interesting. Um, so it, it's every single aspect of brainwaves and, and where brainwave functions are from delta to theta to alpha to beta to, to gamma and super gamma. It, it has a bandwidth. And those, those bandwidths and those five or six brainwave states correspond to the, ba- the wavelength frequencies of the planets. And, and, and that's just incredible, because it means we're, we're almost their muses in some way. We're, and then there's the astrology, of course, of, of when you, your brain gets imprinted by the cosmos at the time that the child crowns and, and is being born which uh, yeah. I, I, I witnessed for both of my two daughters. So,
0: nice. Yeah, every spirit has a brain print. And Georgia, I was going to ask you if you might uh, explain a bit about, are you familiar with Dr. Reif and his frequencies and what they did?
2: Um, not particularly uh, uh, enough to really go into it, other than it's important to know that, In all esoteric traditions, whether it be Eastern traditions, which have been talked about here, or Native American, or Freemasonry, or Rosicrucianism, or spiritual alchemy, lineage has a different language. But the story is the same, and it has to do with, as the Freemasons would say, bringing the rough ashlar into a perfected block. Or the alchemist would say the great work of alchemy is the transfiguration of the alchemist himself changing internal lead to internal gold. And that's really what we are working on, the perfecting of the subtle bodies. And the minute you start talking about even even a more subtle body, People think that you can get holy by manipulating the body. It actually works in reverse. The consciousness of the soul has to evolve and unfold first and then the form will follow whether that form be the mind or the emotions or the physical etheric energy body or the physical dense body. Uh, We know, for instance, that the endocrine glands are the physical touchdown point for uh, the chakras. So as the consciousness changes, it affects the chakras, which in turn then uh, transfer that change to bodily systems. So the minute you start talking about the denser levels of these things, uh, there's always somebody out there that thinks they can get holy by manipulating their glands. And it doesn't work that way. The consciousness has to change first. And that's then That's, that's, that's
7: not necessarily true because because if you take people who are unconscious, and let's just take a, um, a detuned instrument. So, so you pick up a guitar and it's totally out of tune. And this is why Pythagoras called the human instrument the musica humana. And the music of the cosmos was music of Madonna. And if you don't teach people how to tune their human instrument into a, into a synchronicity with, with cosmos, they're never going to have an awakened experience because they're going to be constantly in chaos and they're always going to be groping towards false, um, for example, alcoholism and drugs, anything to get them out of their suffering momentarily, even though those things don't really conquer suffering, but it's not until you take a person. I mean, I remember when I met my first meditation master, Baba Haridas, when I, in in the, in the early seventies, my dad took me to this yoga retreat and I was like 12 years old. And so you, you you sit a child down and you try to teach them how to meditate. Well, if you you say, well, you're not going to learn how to meditate, or you're not gonna you're not gonna experience an awakening of consciousness, and, ch- and, and you're not gonna learn how to meditate until you work out all these problems in your life. Actually, the problems just keep repeating themselves if you don't know the way out, and that's why the Buddha established. The, the method of once he went through the, the seven levels, the six levels of samadhi and the seventh being nirvana, this is well documented in Buddhist texts, the seven different levels of the bliss state, he would come all the way back down and go all the way back up and all the way back down until he developed a system, a systematic system where a person could do these practices and start to have these experiences. Now, it's true It's a lot of work, but once you have one awakening experiences, suddenly all your habits on the physical level start to change. You go, oh, my God, I'm not interested in drugs and alcohol so much anymore. I think I'm going to do more of this because I felt really good when I did those exercises. So even though the exercises, like the practice of toning, which again is tuning the human instrument to proper frequency and pitch. If you say to a person, well, you know, that's just manipulating the human instrument. And therefore what you really have to do is work out all your karma first before you're ready to meditate. It's, it it can work both ways is what I'm saying. I, I mean, I'm not saying you're not right and I'm not saying I'm right either. I'm saying that sometimes a person does have some serious karma to work out and even if they're meditating they're still going to need to work out that karma no matter what it is but the there's an advantage when you start tuning the human instrument because you can have suddenly you have a window to what purity feels like again suddenly you have a method that works and that's what the buddha did he went up and down the the seven states of, of supreme consciousness And he went back down to suffering, and then he built his teaching, his system. And the Dhammapada is built, and then the methodology is built. So, like for example, say to a person, you know, one of the first things the Buddha said when he became awakened was, there is suffering. There is suffering. He didn't mean there is suffering as a general statement. He meant suffering is over there now. It's now removed from me. It's no longer, I'm no longer identified with it. There's a space between pure consciousness and suffering. And then he identified the cause of suffering is that we cling to impermanent phenomena, none of which can give us everlasting happiness, right? So again, that's part of his system. But I'm saying if that system didn't exist, then the participants Who see the awakened person have no method to follow they can't get anywhere Georgia did you want to add yeah we're
2: not we're not talking at cross purposes at all you know esoterically there have been two approaches uh, to the spiritual path Uh, the path of the mystic which produces the saint and the path of the occultist, which produces the sage. Today, these paths are being merged, and you can't follow one alone. They're being merged together. And the esoteric model says that as we move into this next age, science is going to give us the tools to make this journey a lot easier. You know, the problem, and and you were talking about this just a moment ago, The problem with internal states of consciousness is that until there's um, technology that can map these, uh, you only have the person's word. And when we talk about internal states of consciousness, uh, there has to be a method to reproduce them. The saints can have these wonderful expansions of consciousness, but they don't know how they got the those mystical experiences, and they can't teach them to others. On the occult path, you have a methodology, uh, a, a roadmap, by which the way may be either faster or slower, depending, but it's reproducible, and that's one of the keynotes of the age that we're moving into. That these inner states of consciousness and this internal building process will be teachable and reproducible.
7: Exactly, exactly. But see that's one of the 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 dichotomies of different methodologies and different practices is they their ideas tend to clash. Their one system of thought says you have to live your life like this and another system of thought has another way. I mean and that's what I've done in my life. I've studied with so many gurus and so many teachers and looked at so many methodologies. And in the end, what I found really works is a combination of breath work and perfect, perfectly tuned sound work and insight meditation. And, and when you combine, like, for example, the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic, which is the language Jesus spoke, was O thou from whom the breath of life comes who fills all realms with sound light and vibration? so he addresses the breath the sound and the light and and those three practices are also integral to tibetan buddhism they're integral to to mystic christianity but yet we lost those practices and and probably one of the main practices we lost was perfect pitch tuning of the human instrument because we, we we can do some great like rebirthing or breathing techniques, or you have, you know, Wim Hof with his kind of modified breath work techniques and freezing in ice cold water. And which is really great stuff because it really moves the energy, but then you don't have the tuning or the toning practice. And one of the things I noticed about musicians, is a musician is not just writing and, or and or singing or playing an instrument they are that music their consciousness is experiencing that music so that that person is actually moving through all of those octaves all of those tones all of those pitches and that's one of the reasons they're they're some of the most incredibly artistic brilliant people in our culture right? well
0: uh, let me add that Maybe I can speak for Michael, too, that you know, I play guitar since I was a kid and been oh, in a right. lot of ma- bands Not and all right, this huh? thing. And yeah, played uh, in the high school band, brass instruments, but guitar has always been my thing. And over the years, I mean, I have a pretty good repertoire, uh, maybe a couple hundred songs. If we went to the bar and did a gig, we... And even songs you don't know like, Hey, you know, the one by the stones, you're like, Oh yeah, it's a F and C. Uh, okay, go, you know, and you play it. But more over the years, I've got to the point where I don't, when I pick up my guitar, I don't play Aerosmith or Led Zeppelin. I play what I'm feeling. And, uh, with Michael, when you wrote morning star, I, I had that experience Myself, where I just sit down some Sunday afternoon and put on the guitar, and I just let it flow. I, it's it's almost like I'm tapping into the akashic. That's how it yeah, feels, yeah. and it just pours. And I'll afterwards, oh,
7: my
8: God,
0: it's like you said, Michael. Yeah, if you don't write it down or record it, it's gone.
7: Hey, did you sing Morning Star, Michael? Is that you singing?
4: No, that's my friend Dan Reed, and he opened Uh 60 shows for the Rolling Stones, and he and I became really good friends. But here, he's an Arturian contactee, and um, I learned more about the bloodline from him than anyone. But, you know, when he'd come to Cleveland, I ended up, I'd play guitar for him, and he uh, would stay at my house. And I really got to pick his brain. Um, but then during COVID lockdown, for, I you know, I had written the music for Morningstar. And he heard it. He's like, hey, let's record a song. Just we'll drop box audio tracks to each other. He lives in Prague. So that was a very weird way of doing music. But um, I'm really proud of it. And But no, it's that's Dan Reed.
5: Beautiful. He's one yeah. of
4: my favorite singers of... He's one of the reasons I even wanted to be a musician back in the 90s. And so it was really surreal. I think it's weirder to meet some of my heroes like, you know, Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, and
7: Dan Reed.
4: It's weirder to me than meeting them is weirder than meeting the Anunnaki.
7: See, that's (laughs) part of your spiritual being, that, that music that just is born out of you and... And then when you see, like, my little six-year-old daughter dances so incredible to music. Like, God, we were listening to Quincy Jones the other night, and I have I have some really good sound system here. And and you see, again, the, that's another element of spiritual practice. So you have the breath, the sound, and the light. Oh, that's man. the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic, right? And then you have the dance. See, in, in what's called the Acts of John which was banned by Pope Leo the Great, is a gospel that proves that Jesus didn't actually physically suffer on the cross because he had transcended all suffering. He has the disciples, upon his arrest, stand in a circle and dance. So they're in the sacred circle. And the circle, circle, again, I mentioned in um, in Exodus 3.14, begins with, the, the, the intonation of the, of the tetragrammaton which is the supreme I am universal gateway self is the, is the true definition of the Tetragrammaton, which is the, which is the, the ancient name of, of God and and therefore because it's 314 it's it's Exodus 314 is pi and pi is a circle right So a circle is a resonance. So there's Jesus doing this in, in what's called the Acts of John, having the disciples stand in a circle and dance. And, and they literally dance. So the, the church was so uptight, they they banned the Acts of John. And the Acts of John it's not a Nag Hammadi library um, piece of scripture. It, it was something that was in the hands of the early church. And they also wanted a suffering Jesus. They didn't want a Jesus who was joyous, and singing on the cross and telling John that look John, I'm not suffering at all right now, that's just a body on that old wooden cross i'm God, I'm blissed out i'm super high i'm not I don't identify with the body, so the church got rid of it, but it also got rid of the circle and the dance right and the the dance is also connected to the music, and there there we see evidence in the Gnostic Christian gospels of evidence of a lost music scale. And if you know the story of Orpheus, so, so you know, we know who Morpheus is in The Matrix. Morpheus is the god of dreams, the Greek god of dreams. But Orpheus, the Orphics were a cult that were kind of like the Jehovah's Witnesses. They used to go door to door playing music that was tuned to a totally different scale that came out of Egypt because Orpheus went to Egypt with his father and he learned this superior music scale that enraged Zeus and Apollo in the Greek music scale, because it was so much better. And I'll bet you, Michael, it was the 432 scale, which was lost in, in for, for a time.
0: Okay. Let's hold it there, David. Uh, we'll come back. And I don't, it just makes me think of, uh, the guy playing the flute inside the pyramid and the perfect acoustics and, uh, but we'll pick that up on the other side. You're listening to The Other Side of Midnight with Richard C. Hoagland. My name is Jonathan Womack, and we will be back.
6: The other side of midnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Search the archives. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Membership costs $9.95 a month. 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com
0: And we are back, and we're talking about, you know, it was Arthur C. Clarke that said any sufficiently advanced technology will seem like magic, and I had a woman on my show last year, her name's Patty Negri, and she calls herself the the, uh, Hollywood witch, she's a good witch, and she talks about simple magic tricks we can do during the day when you get out of sorts, and she talks about the elements, she works elementally uh, earth, fire, water, and air And and so one of the tricks For example is washing your hands Or taking a shower Another is to Say the vowel Make the vowel sounds for about 30 seconds Like A a, And you hold it for about 30 seconds
7: And you so will notice
0: uh, Patty Negri Is her name
7: Because and- that's the gospel of the Egyptians Which is a Christian Gnostic gospel Where you practice your your vowel sounds it, it says to do seven vowels 22 times which is pi 22 divided by seven is pi so so you're back to the circle again and the ancient toning practice
5: yeah if and I can, these... if
2: i can throw in something here too um you were talking earlier about the toning of the tibetans and the perfect pitch that has to be transmitted orally The West had something very similar in the Druidic tradition with the bards who studied for decades to be able to perfectly tune their harps, which were wire-strung, unlike our our modern. And the original Irish harp, uh, I play Celtic harp, that's that's fine. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Um, Awesome. The the ancient wire-strung harp, had 33 strings, actually 34 strings. Two in the center were tuned to the exact same note that divided the male half of the harp from the female half. And each of the strings vibrated to a particular vertebrae. There's 33 vertebrae in the spinal column. And the strings were set up to affect the nerves at the different levels of the backbone which are of course the different chakras that lie along the spine and in an era when we didn't have all of this unheard noise on the airwaves with radio and TV and everything else um, when the airwaves were clear direct music had a much stronger effect on the nervous system than it does today and part of the bardic initiation had to do with producing music that could put people to sleep, make people laugh, or make people cry at will. There's a, there's a woman here in Southern California named Christina Turin who uh, has established a foundation where she trains people on the ancient Celtic harp. And she trains them to go into hospitals and sit at the bedside of ailing patients and <laughs> compose music for them on the spot wow. to heal the uh, inaccuracies that are uh, within their physical systems. It's really an amazing thing. That is crazy. Cool. You
7: said 34 strings? Yes. You know how incredible that is? Okay. So I, I was trying to find out the relationship between the King's Chamber coffer and the height of the pyramid, <clears throat> and it's only worked with Peter LaMissuria's absolutely flawless 10 decimals of accuracy on the XYZ of the coffer is exactly 1 to 34 to the height of the Great Pyramid. Now, I figured that out myself, 1 to 34, now also using the Hebrew long cubit of 24, inches times 20 cubits for Solomon's Temple's Holy of Holies is 34 feet, exactly.
2: Another another thing about the Celtic harp is uh, the the old version, again, the wire-strung version. uh, They use different metals in the strings at different festival times of the year. Uh, And uh, it was played on the... um, left shoulder the the modern harp is played on the right shoulder which gives your right hand the high voice of the harp which is dominant in the old tradition it was on the left side so that it would be like looking at a piano keyboard backwards uh, the way the strings are are set up and this gives your left hand the high uh, place and dominance which is the right brain so it was an invocative instrument
7: wow that's just incredible so the where where does see when you go to the the god orpheus who who went to egypt and got the lost scale i mean if you read jamie james book music of the spheres there's 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 incredible descriptions of, of lost musical scales and musical instruments. And Orpheus gets murdered by Zeus because he's jealous that, that his music scale is superior and to the Greek of Apollo and and the Greek contemporary music scales. But the, the ancient Celtic harp would come out of, you know, the Gaul territory and that, which is, which was a roman territory that tries to conquer the the ancient celtic world and it's amazing for something like that to even survive because there may be you know there may be a connection there to to the the orphics uh,
2: sure know. there's there's a lot of connection between the celts and the egyptians uh, mm-hmm going into all kinds of stuff too, too long to talk about tonight, but there's a, a very, very definite uh, connection there.
7: Yeah, and the, and the ancient circles, you know, because we there's, were talking with Maria. There's a
2: woman, yeah, there's a woman um, named uh, uh, Anne Heyman, and she is sort of a, a one-woman uh, movement to reestablish some of the old Celtic music that's been forgotten and gone. Um, There was a a Stedford, which is like a a big musical festival, in Wales um, in the late 1800s. And there were still a couple of harpers that played in the old way. The old wire-strung harp is played with the nails, not the fingers. Uh, It's played with the fingernails, like guitar picks. And the old way of playing was recorded by a gentleman named Bunting at that point. And so there's still little bits of the old music. Uh, you can find it in old bagpipe music, the the old uh, way of of playing things. And there is a movement in the Celtic harp uh, community to bring back some of this old music. And Anne Heyman is the the leader of that particular movement.
7: In Jamie James' book, Music of the Spheres, there's this scene where the goddess Harmony comes into a wedding feast, and she's wearing an instrument around her chest that is wheels within wheels, within wheels. And when she begins to play it, everyone is astonished because they had never heard any instrument like this one. And then she's approached afterwards, after her presentation, And she describes that the sounds people are hearing are the proportions and the ratios of the planets and their orbits. So that's a music scale that would be based on planetary proportions, right? And and so I I think there's probably a lot of lost scales. Um, I decoded an actual music scale of the Great Pyramid, and I did it all mathematically. I didn't do it acoustically. And I, when I tone tested it on a tone generator, the the transitions and the notes—it's it, actually a ten—it's a ten-note based scale, whereas today we're seven notes plus flats and sharps gives us twelve, but we're really a seven—A B C D F G plus mm-hmm. flats and sharps. So, so I think there are probably numerous. Like again, you read Jamie James' music of the spheres; it's, it's a masterpiece of literature. <clears throat> were and we, we see this scene of the goddess Harmony, who's got a music scale that's in proportion to the ratios of the of the movements of the planets. You go, I mean I mean, I would know how to mathematically calculate that, but then you have to build the instrument and you know, you think of a string like a you know, Pythagorean monochord. You you take a you take a string and <clears throat> you have a block that you slide under the string to the halfway position and you've you've cut the string in half, so that's an octave, and if you cut the string in half, you're going up an octave, right but that that's more of the Greek understanding of music the, the Celtic world would have been would have been something completely different. And well then, of course, if
4: me. i if I could share something uh I was brought into the n s a remote viewers. <clears throat> uh, reverse engineering division and I worked with them for like four years and these are the ones that would reverse engineer technology and get it to Philip Corso uh, which I learned a lot about that but different subject because Bill Burns wrote the book Day After Raswell and I heard there was some stuff that he didn't uh, Philip Corso didn't want in the book so I asked Bill Burns he said that's accurate but anyhow what I want to share with you is exactly what we're talking about. Um, the leader of this group, his name was A.R. Borden and he became a father figure to me, but at the very beginning of being taken under his wing, he said, uh, to create matter, you need music or more specifically sounds, not just any one sound, but specific sound frequencies in combination. Very important. Um, you'll also learn about these in the course of your concentration. And you'll learn how to use them to light encode objects out of thin air, which I've done. Uh, That's why they brought me into the fold as they knew I could rip in new timelines. Uh, I've never shared that publicly, but it's true. An act that you will learn to do and produce will speak a billion words. This will definitely get attention. And it's incontrovertible. You cannot argue with it. That's the production of energy, photonic light energy, something from nothing. They call it LERM, light-encoded reality matrix. And it's the ability to bring light down and make it into physical reality. And uh, they're very good at it. And it says uh, the com- kind of music you will come to know and write and produce will be nothing like what exists today because you'll more than likely learn to use the two the true Pythagorean scale a equals four hundred and thirty two hertz from which creation itself comes so that was the very even beginning of uh, my being educated by a r Borden and uh and this group that's actually in contact with the anunnaki in technology transfer programs um so I, I first of all 432 that scale from them they say that is from what which creation itself comes so that's one thing i don't really you know i'd like to get into well why why
7: was well remember 432? michael i told you four 432 the the earth frequency is a green octave 432 is actually it looks like it's pure gold as far as i can see on on the rainbow uh um, frequencies you know and the 432 rainbow actual frequencies among the nine colors and their 48 octaves produces 432 color frequencies so it's very precise the number 432 just keeps coming up keeps coming up and, yeah, they've been
4: patient, waiting for us to, to
7: wake up. And music out. is everything. Like music gives us feeling. Like imagine if there was no music. Oh my God, how boring our world would be. You know, I can listen to a song from the '60s because I was born in '61, and I can just time travel back to a memory because of that song. And and and, and a song from. You know, the old world has certain emotional qualities to it that today's music doesn't have. So music is so, has such a profound uh, effect on the way we feel, the way a yeah. whole civilization can dance, can feel, have mood. It gives us mood. It, it, it's it's probably far more important than a car to me, I mean, than transportation. Transportation is pretty basic, but... I would want to know, like, what is the music of these extraterrestrial civilizations? What do they listen to?
5: Our, well, they- our
0: own music, David. Because as I I said the last time, Michael was on the, a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. I talking about visiting the home of souls, and you're guided by this music, which is a it's a fingerprint. Uh, it's your souls when you're born. You know, no two souls are the same. So the, your spirit and the planets and stars, they all have this fingerprint. And when you hear your fingerprint, it's hard to describe because it's uh, incredibly beautiful and it fills you and it's very ecstatic and just uh, nirvana. And you follow this sound into the sun and it allows you to find your little home in there where your soul family is and there's tons of you know millions of souls inside the sun and so yeah
7: I yeah I've been able to take based on the radius of almost any star you can think of I've been able to produce over 50 frequencies for any star you can think of and no two stars are the same and no star follows any particular music scale that you would be familiar with yet I can generate about 15 audible octaves of any star you can think of so that, that those those precise sounds are unique to that star and Well
2: this this goes back to the whole idea in folklore of someone's true name because the true name of a thing Carries its particular frequency. That's why in all the old fairy stories, you never gave anybody your true name because then they had power over you. You gave them your your nickname, Nick, old oh. Nick being the old name of Satan. It was called old Nick. So you gave them your outward name, your nickname not your true name because your true, true name wasn't into your frequency, just like, you know, fingernail pairings or anything else that, you know, has your vibratory DNA, right?
7: Well, wow, That's interesting. Wow. That's really incredible. That kind of, you
4: know, I was given my spiritual native American first nation name by chief golden light Eagle, who was the spiritual leader. And, uh chief of the dakota who's been on ancient aliens many times he just cropped his uh robes and uh in 2020 so i miss him um but uh in the naming ceremony which I, my name is rainbow warrior eagle and um he said that now that you've been granted eagle status which to them it's kind of like christ consciousness the eagle is the only uh bird that takes doesn't seek shelter under the storm it goes above it and uh doesn't you know cower under it and gets a bird's eye view of it that's eagle status to them uh rainbow as you know is them recognizing that the grandmother said to me she said those of us that have the gift of uh sight that we we can tell when someone has become the whirling rainbow There's a whole uh, prophecy with the uh, Hopi for the Whirling Rainbow Prophecy. Look it up. It's pretty cool. But uh, the point is, he said that um, Spirit doesn't recognize me as Michael or any of those names, that um, only when I pray under my real name, which was given to me by the Eagle Nation, um, which is Rainbow Warrior. I know you just said not to reveal your real name, but (laughs) there there I did Well, you know
7: what's interesting? In the Gospel
6: of Philip,
7: Jesus's real name cannot be uttered. His name isn't Jesus, first of all. There's no J because J is a Latin sound. In Aramaic, which is early Hebrew, there was no J, and it's. But yet in Philip, it says in the same way that you don't, you can't enunciate the tetragrammaton because there's no vowels. It, it's it's a it's a vibration that's that it's more of an inward experience which just means i am that i am or i am that which came into being which is the infinite self but but jesus name also cannot be uttered this this is very clear in the gospel of mm-hmm. phillips you don't ever say it
4: see i like to say uh we've all had so many names we've all lived many many lives and to the point that names become useless, that what I truly am is nameless but not voiceless,
7: you know, yeah, but um, if I call my dog Halo to come home and he he'll come home, but if I don't call him he won't he won't come, so we use our understood
2: names names help out you know, but you know name, in in the bible and, in the bible there's the the story about the animals being brought before Adam to be named. Humanity didn't create the animal kingdom as a state of consciousness, but our thinking has a great deal to do with the shapes our animals come into uh, in any particular age. The idea that human activity, human thought and feeling, uh, has an effect upon the animal kingdom in particular in terms of the kinds of bodies that they produce.
7: So. So here it is. The quote in the Gospel of Philip is one single name is not uttered in the world. The name which the father gave to the son, it is the name above all things. The name of the father for the son would not become father unless he wore the name of the father, which is the tetragrammaton. Those who have this name know it, but they do not speak it. But those who do not have it do not know it. And that's again when you go to I think it's Exodus 3:14, which is pi. We see the tetragrammaton emerge in in the scripture, and that's of course pi is is the circle, right? So the sacred circle. It, it, it's very the Bible's coded numerically it has very very high numerical values for certain places. For example, it's Matthew 16:18 which is one six one eight the golden ratio upon this rock i will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it so that's to build the church in the golden proportion right is encoded in the scripture so in philip here the the name the true name is is not uttered And and it may be why jesus name became latinized because maybe the way it was written again you couldn't pronounce it if it didn't have any vowels
2: right? this also so, goes this also goes back to the lost word of the freemasons which is not an actual word as in latin verbum but a divine proportion that's been lost
7: yeah you know i received a tell us more about that i, I, I do you know any more about that
5: or
2: well, p- part of the work of the of the Mason is to recover the lost word, which is the divine proportion. You know, in the Bible, when it says, in the beginning was the word, this is an right. ang- anglicized term right. from the Latin verbum, but goes back to the Greek word logos. Right. And, lo- right. and logos means more than utterance. It also has to do with proportion and alignment.
5: Mm-hmm.
7: Yep, Michael, you
0: were going to say something?
7: Logos.
2: Well, A.R. Borden
4: from the Reverse Engineering Division, I discovered this MP3 on my computer, and I didn't know what it was, but it it was such Yahweh, and it was .MP3. So I was like, what the heck? I don't remember ever receiving this. And um, I played it, and all it did was, na, 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 na. I went, oh, my God, it's not even a name, they're, they're codes of creation, specific frequencies is what Yahweh is. And uh, so I just want to share that. Maybe that's the last word, but it's a musical phrase because um, again, it said that to create matter, which scientists now have come forth and said, specific frequencies create negative mass. Negative mass brings negative gravity. And when certain frequencies create this field, of negative mass creating anti-gravity, then when regular e equals MC squared particles enter that field, they float up instead of down. But it says specifically to create this matter, it's not just one frequency, it's many specific frequencies in specific combination. So that's either a melody or it's a chord, you know, but it's more than one note.
7: So here it is and, again in Philip. I heard another quote I'll read. Names given to the worldly are very deceptive for they divert our thoughts from what is correct to what is incorrect Thus one who hears the word God does not perceive what is correct but perceives what is incorrect So also with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and life and light and resurrection And the church ecclesia and all the rest people do not perceive what is correct but they perceive what is incorrect so so that's confirming what you're saying here about the names. The, the, the person's real name needs to be secret and, and hidden so that it's not abused. So, all right.
4: that makes oh, go sense ahead, Michael. Me. Uh, well, I just, you know, I, I'm not the fear at all. I don't fear anything. Nothing can abuse my power. They They can use my name. I don't care. That they I'm in no fear whatsoever and they can't control me. They never have.
7: Well, our legal name is on our passport or birth certificate. It, it's our driver's license. It's all part of the the contracts, right? So so I, I see I see the point here that that the, your name is deceptive in the sense that like it's a, your name's common like mine, Michael. Yeah, <laughs> if you yeah scream Michael in Manhattan, there's going to be a lot of guys that turn around. And mm-hmm. if you scream David in, you know, Boston, you're going to hear a lot of guys turn around. It's a common name, right? So it's I because- think if you,
4: if you end up before Creator, though, it's like, what's your name? You know, me going, who, Mike? You know, I don't think it's going to
2: recognize (laughs) (laughs) me. Well, we're talking about the frequency of the soul itself, not the various personas it has throughout its incarnation. Yes. You could probably sing it, huh?
7: That'd be more accurate. Well, every human's voice pattern is totally unique. Eight billion people, no two are identical. And that's incredible. Like, how does how do you get 8 billion people and no two people have an identical voice pattern? All right. All right. Well, we have a break coming up,
0: so let's pause it there and we'll continue. When we come back, we have Robert Morningstar will be joining us. So you're listening to the other side of midnight with Richard C. Hoagland. I'm Jonathan Womack. We'll be back shortly.
10: in the navigator bar or in the left-hand column. Membership costs $19.95 per month. That's 33 tetrahedral cents a day. I mean, it's the price of a couple of cups of coffee. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to this show and literally hundreds of previous shows on hundreds of different topics going back to 2015 that we have done. Our archive shows have the commercials removed, and you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the 19-point archives, if you prefer. To enhance your listener experience, a new The Other Side of Midnight podcast is being added to all show pages, which will allow you to instantly search the show archives of Radio with Pictures, thus easily accessing the corresponding show. Plus, you can just as quickly access the entire podcast list when you're on the go. I want to personally thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your continuing support, this show would literally not be on the air. Please continue supporting the broadcast to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. And if you like what you hear on the other side of midnight, tell your friends and continue growing the show by having them subscribe to Club 19.5 as well, because we need all of you. And when I say we need you, you're the reason we're doing all this. Oakland, over and out.
0: And we are back. We're talking with David Sarita, Georgia Lambert, Michael Lee Hill, and Robert Morningstar will be joining us. We're talking about how uh, thought and sound and intention and these things have a very big impact on our lives and, and, and in creation. So who wants to pick it up there, Georgia? Did we, we're, we left off with you, was it? What were you saying when when we went to the break? Or, or was it David?
7: Yeah, um, it, it's when we're we're getting back to the radios, Jonathan, because when we're looking at again, each human being has a unique voice pattern, and the frequencies in my voice are going to be different than the frequencies in, in an anal, analysis in your voice. So when and we Tesla look at those.
0: Tesla was the one who famously said when considering the mysteries of the universe, think frequency and vibration.
7: Exactly. So, so when we look at how we're analyzing what we're calling these chirps on the radios and we slow it down and you look at the wave structure, it looks like language, right? Like music will be a continuous bunch of frequencies for the duration of a song, but these are like words because there's a chirp and a stop and a chirp and a stop and a chirp and a stop and the spacing between the chirps is erratic they're not they're not repeating um it, it and and richard and i have said this and i think you've experienced it too the the, the chirping seems to be moody like it seems to have different moods mm. so tonight when i was recording because again jimmy sent out the last transmission today at eleven a m pacific time twelve mountain time, and I calculated it the speed of light to a move moon and back, and I started recording at first i thought oh the the radio is not as excited sounding today it's kind- it's chirping but the, it's there's a lot of spaces between the chirps so i I I did captures of the frequencies and recorded it. And when I saw this one number repeating, I said, oh, my God, that's the Washington Monument, which is a 432 octave monopole tuner. So the the idea that the chirps look like voice prints means there has to be somebody sending us these messages and. And, and if they're able to encode precise frequencies such as royal cubits, the speed of light, um, a message that brought us the number 56, which brought us to Stonehenge. Maria Wheatley last night told us that the first Stonehenge, the most ancient one, had 56 bluestones in the circle. The fact that we got that message, we got the royal cubit for the Great Pyramid at Noah's Ark. And today, I received the number for the Washington Monument. We're so far beyond, you know, random odds that we're making all this up. There's somebody clearly talking to us.
0: Yeah, and they're talking through, uh, and they're sending it through subspace, and and
7: we're picking up on real radios at at 144.1 and 432 megahertz. So this should get the attention of, of of serious um, you know, serious scientific community response and, and 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 it really should get funding. And I know Richard, you know, just in the break mentioned that we need funding. This is so incredible. It's probably the first time in modern history, I mean, FETI is not yielding anything worth anything and they've raised mega millions of dollars to keep FETI going.
0: And there's it's aliens work. everywhere. They're all around.
7: <laughs> They're all around because we see the UFOs. And it's so funny. I just finished Abby Loeb's book, which is called Extraterrestrial. And, and it's like he's, he's telling you in his the scientific community is so staunch. If you step outside of the box and you get your PhD, you're never going to work. You're never going to get grant money and get a job anywhere. So they're already controlling you not to believe in the extraterrestrial hypothesis. But he just raised over seven million dollars for Project Galileo.
5: But
7: Project Galileo detects motion in the sky, and what it does is it will see it, it will see something moving. It'll it'll map its coordinates, and it will see if it's an identifiable satellite or aircraft, and if it's not. And known, it goes into an unknown category and it gets researched. But what we're doing is very different. We are actually the first ones to intercept a dialogue with them and us because we're sending them messages in the form of pictograms, a piece of music, and we're sending them frequencies, which are numerical value tones. And they're sending us back numerical value tones that convert to a mathematical formula for everything from the speed of light to the royal cubits to the stonehenge and now the washington monument they're, they're sending us these numbers so that means and, and when when you look at the analysis of the chirping it looks like a unique signature voice imprint
0: it does and i did a little more work on um the clicks from December twenty fourth, just this past Friday, mm-hmm. um, today, and I slowed them down and I added some semitones just to give it uh, some sort of voice resemblance, so that you
7: get a little,
0: oh, not quite singing, but sort of like conversation.
7: Wow. Yeah, there, there's. say that.
0: I had – it's my items tonight, but uh, we don't have our webpage up, so you can't listen to them. Oh, no. Uh, well,
7: no, this is going to continue. But but I yes. what I'm saying, like Avi Loeb describes in his book that there's all this money out there for when we make a, a breakthrough discovery. And yet this is verifiable. We can repeat this. We could do this and demonstrate it to to witnesses who – could come forward and actually give us serious grant money. I mean, if Abby Loeb could raise $7 million, I I mean, there's so much money out there in America yes. alone. Mm-hmm. There's so much ridiculous money out there that, that if anybody's listening and you know somebody who even knows somebody, this is very serious. I mean, here we are on this planet. Our whole planet is being hijacked right now, and – is there anybody else in the universe? Are, are uh, the, the desire to, to, to actually prove that is what is kind of a motivating factor behind this, but it's also just the desire to communicate. And when I, you know, and I've been in ufology for over twenty-three years. I mean, I was on Art Bell in nineteen ninety-nine in my first show on the NASA UFO phenomenon and got myself into Art Bell, one of Art Bell's biggest conspiracies of all time, because the night I was on with James Oberg arguing about nasty UFOs, the entire show shut down all over the world. And the next day, Art Bell announced that that David Cerita was naming names and subjects the American people weren't ready for at this time, and we had to turn your show off. So it landed me in this huge radio conspiracy. But the one part of UFOlogy, that is lacked the most is the communication systems um, of, with the ETs. And are they sending messages to SETI? And, and No, they're, they're clearly not. And millions of dollars have gone into SETI to keep that machine going. But also there have been these phenomena called fast radio bursts, and probably a lot of the data in the FRBs, fast radio bursts, is getting is getting classified, getting buried. And and what we're doing is open to you, the public, the listener. And and this this is real data we're getting on these radios. So it, it cannot possibly be explained because we know that Nikola Tesla and Marconi both stumbled upon the same type of chirping that they thought initially might be Morse code. But when they analyzed it, as we did, the first thing I asked Jimmy, is this Jimmy Blanchett, is this Morse code? And he said, no, he's tested it. So I tested it as well. Clearly not Morse code. And it's yeah. like
0: for people out there wondering if this is some kind of uh joke being played on us by a kid and. You know, Australia somewhere. <laughs>
5: mm-hmm.
0: um, that's not happening. They, and these are coming back to us faster than the speed of light. It, it takes what four hours for the Amumu signal to get to reach uh, the object, four yeah,
7: hours to reach it, and then um, just, uh, four hours to come back. Come back, yeah. What and about we're, these
4: videos though that Jimmy's capturing of these orbs of light, chariots of fire? appearing over the radio array. I mean, that's got to be taken into account, too. Yeah, that's very
7: important. Because his newest one, like, he sent me one just um, two days ago, or a day ago, actually. And it shows three craft appearing in front of the antenna. And I did the ratio between the three is one to the golden ratio, one to 1.618. And I sent it to Jimmy, and I said, that's impossible they would be one to the golden ratio because that's what we're talking about because a muamua came in its closest approximation to earth its ratio to one astronomical unit which is the earth sun distance came to one to six one eight which is a function of the golden number right because you can take the six the 0.618 portion of the golden ratio is the extenuation of a whole number so the, the .618 number can can move in multiples of ten, a hundred, a 1, thousand, ten thousand, et cetera, just like four thirty-two can. Because we're doing we're using four hundred and thirty-two million hertz is is our is one of our transmission and reception frequencies. So that means the fact that the three the three UFOs appeared in front of the antenna in the golden ratio is 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 a message clearly. That the, the continues on the thesis of, of Oumuamua and its golden functions.
0: Yeah, so imagine what they they must think of us. There they are in the sky, you know, sending out these radio signals, and they're they're giving us Still. a pat on the back. But um, boy, uh, they just we must seem like the slowest uh, you know, species they've ever run into.
7: Well no, they're probably saying, "My God, finally, somebody's sending
0: finally, us. yeah, <laughs>
7: and and again, this is preschool for them, right? They send us the speed of light, they send us to the Royal cubits, they send us to Stonehenge, and it's like, okay, are are you convinced now that there's somebody really here? I would think with this show and how many people are listening, we'd be getting emails and phone calls like crazy." Um, with excitement and enthusiasm because here we are stuck on a planet. We can't get off this planet until we die. We get into our spirit body and nobody in NASA knows how to do what we're doing because they don't have data like this. So why aren't people calling us up and saying we want to help? That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, that's what we need. I don't know how to make that happen. Um, just keep pushing forward, well, I think there's a lot of apathy out there right now in the world. There's a lot of people feel really um disabled and frustrated because our planet is being held hostage, and they they don't know what to do, but in a way, you gotta say to them, snap out of it, stop looking at that stuff, get on with your life, get on with life, and stop being you know pull your head out of this this news that you're reading every day and and just keep living don't let it stop you because it's a game that the powers of the world are playing so the the the, the connection to universe and cosmos eventually you see a human being eventually once you've been on this planet long enough i've been here 60 years at a certain point you really get bored of the earth stuff and you start to wonder our universe bigger than any ancient religion could possibly describe it the the idea of heaven being a place that's only big enough for one religion is completely vanishes when when you understand the size of a single galaxy let alone you know mil- billions of galaxies because each galaxy is bigger than any vision of heaven ever painted even by the ancient Sumerians any any ideas of heaven would be completely myopic compared to what we know now so the, the the desire to eventually get off this rock emerges once you've been here long enough. How many soccer games and football games can you watch? I mean, can you watch them for ten thousand years? If you were going to live eternally in a human body, you know could you keep doing the same stuff? For thousands of years
0: look at Jodie Foster's question in in the movie contact she goes through these wormholes and she ends up on a a beach somewhere out in the universe and Mm -hmm. and uh, the being comes up to her and her question is how did you do it and she means how did how did you guys you aliens you advanced aliens how did you overcome the destructive nature of civilizations to destroy themselves and i mentioned this in my book old souls which uh sort of lays out the scenario that when mars went kaput a bunch of them escaped and they came to earth and they they landed in montana and that's why we see today the whole well this is ignored by most mainstream people but that whole stretch of uh, mountains and the Grand Canyon and some of the pictures I had last night of the Utah swell, um, it's all monuments from civilizations hundreds of thousands of years ago. And actually, uh, after the next break, I want to direct people's attention to these three images I included last night of the swell because it. I want to do a whole show uh, with Keith. Keith was the one that turned me on to the swell at first. And when I I saw his pictures, I went, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. So um, our planet used to be a science fiction novel. We had alien races living here and interacting with humans and and this whole thing. And it's all been forgotten and washed away and disintegrated and lost to the ages. So... The big question yeah, was I, how, how did we get over that? You know, not destroying ourselves, and that's where we are,
7: right? Well, the book *Contact*, which was written by Carl Sagan, I read the book. I did too. Yeah. yeah, it's more brilliant in the end, isn't it? Because there's a group of them, and they they go to the center of the. I mean, Vega is one of the stops along the way. Yeah, but they go to the center of the Milky Way galaxy and. I think they have no clothes on from what I remember. And then they get into the mystery of pi, the, the mathematical formula pi. And actually I, I lost the book and I didn't read the last probably five or six pages, but it, the, the book is it's much better than the movie, but it, it definitely, you get to that point where you realize how does the civilization get to the point where, we get past this idea that it's all competition. Yeah. And that we, we have to... Because competition by nature destroys. Just by nature.
0: There's a scene where she's at the White House and the president's about to come in the room and she's like with 15 other people. And they're religious leaders, military leaders, and they all want control of this message that's been received. And And they're going. Well, what if uh, you know this uh, God is? And Jody says, uh, they're sending the language of mathematics. They're not sending us a message of, uh, you know, some religious message. Uh, Mathematics is the the language of the universe. So they have no. That's what we're getting
7: on the radio, right? We're
0: we're exactly. This is not the. They don't have any alter, ulterior motives. They're not hiding things. They're, they're very upfront and straightforward. And, and all these, the military leaders that have all this fear and all that, And I mean, that's kind of most of humanity where we're all competing. And Jody Foster is saying, no, that's, it's none of that.
7: They just, See, once you get to the point, Jonathan, that you can conquer the distance between stars in no time. Yes. Then the 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 understanding that there's infinite resources. There's there we have asteroids that have more gold on it than all the gold on Earth, right? So we we know that. So once you have the ability to move around, why would you go to somebody's planet and destroy them all when there's tons of empty planets lying out? You can. You don't need to take anybody's planet from them, is what I'm saying. Yeah, but because, the galaxy
0: becomes a very small place when you can go to the next solar system like you're
7: going to the Seven-Eleven. Exactly. So why why would you come upon a civilization and destroy them when when life is precious in the universe? You would say, you know, let's sit down, let's have a meal, let's get together. Like, you know, what are you what are you what are you about? What do you do here all day? And it and then. Rock. Yeah, like, why would you, what kind of music do you listen to? Like, why would you go there and kill them? See, we have that mentality here because we can't get off this rock. We don't know how abundant the creation is. We don't know that there's infinite resources out there. There's infinite gold. and I mean, there was one particular asteroid that, that has more gold and precious metals on it than, than exists on the entire Earth. And if we could retrieve it, you know, um, in fact, this is a new movie on Netflix right now. Don't look up. Have you heard about that one? No. Dude, that looks like
4: it's about Apophis, you know, Boyd Bushman.
7: (laughs) Right. I remember Boyd. Yeah. It's so it's about a meteor and it's very comical in the beginning because it shows you how everybody has their head buried in social media and there's this giant asteroid coming that's going to destroy the Earth. These astronomers find. I'm just watching the beginning of Don't Look Up. And they're, they're trying to get the world's attention. Everybody thinks they're crazy conspiracy theory that the world can end because this meteor is coming. And they're all watching social media. It's really hilarious in the beginning. But meanwhile, a scientist discovers that it's full of gold and precious metals. And we should capture it instead of letting it hit our planet and and but that's what i mean once you reach this level of technology that gives you interstellar you're not trying to to go move around to kill people i mean haven't we noticed that with all the ufo's arriving on the scene that none of them have destroyed our planet and tried to take over and rule the world <laughs> it's hard. it's not a, it's not about that for them
2: You know, the the esoteric model is that the great lesson that humanity needs to learn here is to overcome separateness. And that, you know, if we didn't have gender and ethnicity and religion and politics to divide us, we would invent things to divide us. Mm. And this is one of the great lessons that that we have to overcome. Blavatsky in The Secret Doctrine talks about the great sin of separateness here on this planet. You know, competition has done some good things for humanity, but it needs to be morphed into cooperation. And the only models that we have of that are things like a a beautiful orchestra where every individual has perfected their own instrument and then they get to play with others. After they've done the work and become good at what they do, they can add their voice to the whole.
7: Yes. That's beautiful. What you're. Saying yeah, that's
0: it it. In my book, Old Souls, the, the crux of the situation is that um, we're reaching a point on Earth uh, that mirrors Mars' situation when it went kaput. So there are these old souls that are, were on Mars and now they're, they've been reincarnated on Earth to prevent this ancient cataclysm uh repeating it on earth and and sending us back you know uh, <laughs> back to square one basically and and we need to get over this uh, destroying our self tendency and perhaps one in 10,000 worlds survives that e- equation most of them they do they blow themselves up and that's Salt implode.
7: yeah yeah we're we're financially blowing ourselves up because we believe this money game so much, and yet we have resources. we have sustainable technology that we could get AI to build electric cars for everybody. We don't need to put people in debt because they, they're driving an electric car for a hundred thousand dollars like you just don't need to do that, but it's a game that we we believe in so much we're letting the money monster destroy it whereas we could, I mean, I remember, I remember being in, in um, elementary school in San Francisco as a kid in the 60s, and we watched this film in black and white, how the future, there'll be machines to do all our hard jobs and we'll have all this free time to lie around on the beach. <laughs> Instead, what happened is we, we made everything so expensive that even though we had machines doing a lot of our jobs, We just invented more jobs that are completely useless to pay, to to make money, to pay for stuff that, in fact, we also make stuff that breaks. So we make cheap light bulbs. Everything is cheap so that you keep having to buy stuff. And that whole consciousness is what's destroying the planet right now more than anything, because we have the ability to give people a two or three day uh, work week so that they can have tons of time to garden and to meditate and explore the universe and consciousness. But where we have this idea that nobody deserves anything for nothing, so we invented a prison planet where we give people mortgages. You know, mortgage means a a, a gauge of death, right? Because mort is the Latin word for die, for death. And gauge it's a death cage <laughs> because it's gonna kill you to pay off that house that the funny thing is the house is already built, right, so let's look at all the real estate it's already made, so why are we working so hard driving our cars, burning all this fuel, inventing jobs, inventing careers to pay for something that's already there, and the car's already there too so so why did we do it? See we're so stupid in a way because. We already have the buildings. We can make new buildings. We can make better, more sustainable buildings. We don't need to make people keep paying for this stuff. But the bank says, I'm, you don't de- you don't deserve to have something for free, even though it's already built. I'm going to turn you into a slave and give you a mortgage, a death gauge, which is going to kill you because every, you're, you're going to stress out every day about paying for this thing that was made 30 years ago or 20 years ago. And if you don't some.
0: pay your taxes, you, you realize you don't own it anyway. Um, exactly. So, <laughs> uh, we
7: own it. So but the- hold it there, Dave.
0: We, we got a break coming up. So uh, let's take a pause. And, uh, when we come back, uh, like I said, I want to show a few pictures of the Utah swell and we can take it from there for the last half hour. You're listening to The Other Side of Midnight with Richard C. Hoagland. He's out tonight, and I'm sitting in for him. I'm Jonathan Womack. He'll be back next week, and we will be back right after this short break.
11: The Other Side of Midnight.com The Other Side of Midnight.com Talk radio, with pictures, on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale, and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs, $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment for your endeavors. $0.08 an episode. Two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side is midnight.com.
0: And welcome back to the other side of midnight I would like to take a minute here to direct your attention to the other side of midnight.com website and you can click on the banner calling occupants of interplanetary craft and that will take you to last night's show actually and You'll see fast links to items, and you can click on John, and it's my items number 14, 15, and 16, and I've been studying this area for a while now since Keith brought it to my attention back in August, and it is um, stunning revelations about a monumental event that was so important. It was carved into rock that would last a very, very long time. Hundreds of thousands. The rock is millions of years old, but these, this is a massive sculpture that, that goes around for miles and this is in Utah and in number 15, you can see one of the Keith and I call it the fishman,
5: <laughs>
0: um, I think these were ETs who, who lived here. They're not really ETs; they're, they're Earth, you know, species. They live here and interact with um, pharaohs. Uh, there's, there's an area of this monument where uh, a number of pharaohs are sculptured. So they were working together, and the event seems to be uh, bringing animals, either African animals to the midwest and this the, these monuments are a celebration of this and it's it's a it's an act between an alien species and humans so it was very you know there was peace and uh, cooperation like we've been talking about there was no competition this was aliens and humans living together in peace so i i hope that we'll be doing a show down the road because I have a lot of really cool things to show. And I don't know anybody that's been looking at this area. I don't know why, because as soon as I saw Keith's image, I was just like, oh, my God. And, um, yeah, so I just wanted to point that out, that here we are calling Umuamua, And it, it's ironic, because hundreds of thousands of years in our past, we had civilizations that they weren't calling the aliens. The aliens are here and we lived with aliens and, and worked in peace with them and, and so forth. So I thought that was important to show. Uh, yeah. So who would like to, we have about a half hour left. So who wants to jump in? We haven't heard from Michael for a while. Uh, do you want to add anything, Michael? Well, I guess, you know, I just find it very,
4: fascinating, the whole 432 subject, and um, you know, that's more than anything they've been trying to communicate the importance, and not only that, when you find out it's not just Earth-bound, it's our whole solar system. The moon is 2,160 miles across, and uh, you know, that's an octave lower than 432. The sun is 8,640 miles across, and um, that's why we get a full totality eclipse, you know, so to say we're living in a 432 created reality is not woo-woo pie-in-the-sky stuff. It's science.
0: Well, um, there's an experiment on uh, Richard's website, enterprisemissions.com, and it talks about uh, this French scientist in the 1950s, I believe, 55. His name is L. A. and he's in an underground chamber that – allows no vibrations and they're studying they have a he's got a pendulum going and the we're approaching an eclipse the the moon is about to eclipse the sun and as the moon moves across you know it first crosses the disk of the sun the pendulum slowed and as the moon kept moving, it stopped, and then the moon moves some more. The pendulum goes backwards, oh wow. so it's almost like the polarity of the torsion field is changed during this alignment. so as the moon then leaves the disc of the sun, the pendulum starts rotating the proper clock you know clockwise, so, wow. I found that very interesting, yeah.
4: You know, through my work with the uh Native American First Nations, I'm Seneca, and I was brought in by Chief Golden White Eagle, his Star Knowledge Movement, which we just went live in Canada by the way, and the University of Ottawa is teaching our uh what we've learned from Star Beans from thousands of years of contact, and our show named Star Beans was just aired so if anyone wants to check it out, type in University of Ottawa and Star Knowledge. Um, the deal is, though, that they their knowledge is that the Earth's ley lines actually ebb and flow with energy. They're at their strongest during solstices and equinoxes. But in times of full totality eclipses, the ley lines reach zero and then are reborn, which kind of makes some sense with exactly what you just said. Um, so I just wanted to add that. Nice. But that's why the Native American First Nations are so... Uh, all these structures would align and and track solstices and equinoxes. And you'll find that when ley lines cross, there's vortexes of energy. That's where the mound sites are.
2: And so it was really
4: cool to be with all these elders and stuff, because every Star Knowledge Conference, you'd find out there was a mound site very close. So we yeah. would all, you know, go to a mountain site and put good energy in. So, you know, these places they're they're gonna be returned back to the native, you know, First Nation people because they know how to use them.
0: <laughs> well, I, I've gotta mention my another one of my books, The Dog Man Cometh, and it's about the Cheyenne dog soldiers and this Colonel Shivington uh who massacred a whole bunch of Cheyenne back in 1886. And um, this Colonel Shivington is reincarnated to today uh, as his white dude, and he hates Native Americans, and he's got this half of this amulet that will allow him to, to kill all of them once and for all. And it's all going to come down tonight under the light of a blood moon. (laughs)
5: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah man it sounds like you got some really cool interesting books have to check yeah them out. yeah check them out now uh georgia you wanted to talk about the cycle of the year
2: yeah richard wanted me to mention this uh in terms of why this is happening now and how does it fit in the bigger cycle of things we we sort of started tonight with Uh, Rick Levine talking about cycles and certainly the monthly cycles with two fortnights, but there's a yearly cycle too. And it's important to understand how to maneuver through this next year. The cycle of matter is really interesting. Matter as the mother delivers the Christ at the winter solstice at the darkest point of the year. And that's the ending of the yearly cycle. There's a period between winter solstice, which was the 21st, to February 2nd, which in the Celtic tradition is called Imbolc. The the Christian tradition is Candlemas. It was thought that the act of giving birth even to the Christ was an unclean act. And so Mary had to be purified before she could be led into the temple again. So this period of time between the winter solstice and February 2nd, Kendall mass was called the terror time, not just because, you know, roads were bad and and wolves were about in the old days, but because this is the time when matter, the mother has delivered the Christ and must become re-virginized to ascend in the spring for new impregnation. So again, this this terror time between the twenty first uh, of December and candle mass, February second, is when everything is thrown to the winds. This is the time when the refrigerator is unstuck from the floor. And you can nudge it in various directions. This is the time. And and interestingly enough, our our New Year's Eve resolution tradition comes right smack dab in the middle of this terror time. This is the time for new intent, new direction. Uh, Things are chaotic, but that's the time new stuff can be slipped in most easily. At Mass, the cycle really begins and we have an ascent of human aspiration upward to the three full moons in the spring, the high one being the full moon of Taurus, which in Eastern tradition is called Vesok. This is the time when the Buddha descends and confers his blessing on humanity. The full moon of, of Taurus is the time when the soul of humanity is on its downswing and the personality is on its aspirational upswing. And we have a spiritual transfer of some point of the divine plan uh, transferred from the soul of humanity to its persona, but it comes in as a very high abstract energy from the full moon of Taurus. As we move through the beginnings of summer, It begins to move into a higher concrete mind. Uh, And then as the summer progresses, it moves downward into lower concrete mind where humanity starts to notice it at the end of summer. And as it moves into the fall, uh, that new stuff that was downloaded in the spring, the new sound, the new note for the year, the new wisdom, Uh, it begins to hit humanity's emotional nature as it moves into the fall. And this is where humanity really begins to notice it and can either work on its manifestation or go back to the old ways. For the spiritual disciple, the fall and into the early winter is the time for greatest manifestation. So we can see this whole year cycle as a sort of breath where the high stuff comes in at the spring, works its way down from higher abstract mind into lower concrete mind, into the emotions, and finally into physical manifestation at winter solstice, the anchoring for the entire year, and then the cycle begins again. So this conversation with the Muamua is happening at the end of this this matter cycle, right in the middle of this terror time, when new things can be slipped in, new directions can be taken, uh, new intent can be set as we begin the cycle for the next year. Hmm. That's awesome.
7: awesome. Yeah, that is very So do you know about... Alice Bailey's
2: prediction of 2025. Yes, she uh, yes, I do. Yeah, I, I've, I'm very familiar with the whole ba- Bailey series. She and thinks 2025 is the
7: 2020, Christ's
2: return. Well, not exactly. What she actually says is that every hundred years, the spiritual hierarchy of our planet has a conclave to decide how to unfold the the next steps of the plan for for humanity, and that conclave in 2025, the subject of the agenda to be discussed is the reappearance of the spiritual hierarchy and the reappearance of the Christ.
7: Right, and then so Jean Dixon, do you think Jean Dixon, because she made a prediction about 2025 as well, that was published about the second coming. It's it's actually funny because when you, when you look at all, all the predictions in the past for the second coming of Christ, they've all been wrong. But it is interesting that we keep getting these dates. And as, as humanity focuses on this, on this kind of hope that there's going to be a messianic return or, or maybe even just an awakening. And, and what I see is humanity still hasn't figured out how to get itself out of this prison mentality when we have the technology actually to give ourselves a two to three day work week or we can have real lives. And, and I, I go back to that documentary I saw in, in Diamond Heights Elementary School in San Francisco in the 60s saying that the modern era is going to save us because with the technology and all the machines, we're going to have more time to live our lives. But somehow we believe that we can't free the human race to have a good life here we we want to imprison people for pieces of architecture that are already built and we could actually let all that go we could actually give everybody a roof over their heads of different degrees of quality and we all could be free from hard labor and the stress of that which is a prison consciousness in a way that would be a mass awakening
2: it really well, well you know that the term reappearance of the Christ is not just the reappearance of a great teacher or avatar that this particular cycle, this particular time is also the reemergence of the Christ consciousness born within the human heart yes. because humanity on mass is undergoing what's called the first initiation, which is opening the heart chakra. It doesn't mean every human being will do that, but be a hundredth monkey effect, and so the reappearance of the Christ is not just the overshadowing, descending, and precipitating; it's also the reawakening and evocation of what's latent within humanity up into conscious awareness.
7: Yeah, I agree with you.
0: I, and and I definitely,
2: point, absolutely,
0: there's a a wave happening too, where it's going to be hard to keep a lid on disclosure because the advent of the internet for example has brought us all into much closer communication and just think about when the face on mars came out and we we just had newspapers and magazines and there was no internet but that has all changed and because of work like richard does and other people like him that um you know, that, that veil is definitely being lifted. And, and the, the people that want to keep us on this prison planet, I think they're... Their
5: time's done.
0: Yeah, their time is coming. They're, yeah. They're, yeah.
4: I'll tell you where all this is leading because I can tell you from a place of confidence because it's a part of my life. And that is I was contacted in 2011 by the Pentagon uh, Bigelow Aerospace Bass. And uh, they said, we know you're in contact with the real thing because we've been studying it over the Skinwalker Ranch. And uh, pretty much they said, we don't know why you've had a pleasant experience when we have not. I said, well, try the olive branch next time (laughs) instead of the arrow, you know. But um, they know that I am in contact with the Anunnaki. And I am of their hybrid bloodline, and I'm here to be a liaison between them and us and that will be in the very near future like i said yesterday 2024 which fits measure if we have real disclosure i'm talking first contact where they reveal themselves these orbs of light that are what's showing up over the array when cimi's sending these and david and you know wait till you see the videos of these orbs of light that are showing up um so it all leads to 2024 of a great reveal and um, then we a, roll into mankind becoming a galactic society. But I also believe that the Christ has nothing to do with an individual. It is a state of consciousness, because what is Christ? There's many Christed beings, in, even in the Bible, that it means the appointed or the chosen one. Well, chosen or appointed with what? The star knowledge. It's the knowledge of light and sound and how light and sound create physical reality. That's star knowledge, and it's nothing to do with earth. It's the way things work, and uh, so I just wanted to share that. I want to share one other thing because I, th- I think it's absolutely fascinating. But at a conference, I had one of my 432 disks. I'm sure everyone here knows who Christopher Dunn is um, from Ancient Aliens, and he wrote the book uh, The Pyramid Energy Machines and
2: uh, just showed how
4: you know things that are encoded into the structures back in Egypt and Sumer, just even mathematically, there's, it's not even possible. But he came up to me and he see my disks. He became really excited. He goes, oh, my God, um, no one knows this yet, but they said he said that they now know that the actual like, King's chamber, and they're all resonating to 432 base frequencies, meaning that they're the most resonant when you hit 432 hertz. And you get – it actually I've, – I've heard some – video from in there when you hit the right frequency 432 it sounds like an orchestra it's pretty mind-blowing to hear um so i think we're on the right path and um like you know for funding i think once the world sees what happens when you use structured water for our uh, agriculture it's uh it's natural gmo it, it creates plants that are impervious to drought and they grow faster, and their nutritional value is over doubled when you use, uh, and 432 water is actually, like I said, the scientists from NASA had never seen anything like it, and so right now, that is something that I think should be looked into, is what happens when we start using 432
0: water um, to do our gardening. Not just on this planet, but Mars or or the moon? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Georgia, do you want to add anything?
2: Um, Other than, you know, what we see in terms of mathematics, the golden section is the signature portion of this planet. And it, you know, it, it intrudes upon our consciousness in music, in structure, in absolutely everything and again you know the 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 idea in freemasonry is to restore that ancient proportion that brings us back into harmony with the bigger life in which we live
0: yeah
2: it's all about balance ain't
0: it yeah yep david do you want to we have a few minutes left before uh, we got to wrap it
7: up here you have well, I think thoughts? part of the, the message we're getting, like um, from the transmissions to Amuamua and, and back, is see the the reason the God of the Prophets measured everything so precisely, like the dimensions. We we cut quartz crystal to very specific dimensions to create a crystal oscillator to generate specific frequencies. So, a temple is measured in certain the it's the inner measurement, the inner dimension measurement that matters because that's the space that you go into to to get activated. And Jesus actually said in the Gospel of philip that the the attainment of the resurrection body is done in the Holy of Holies, which is a cube, it's a cubic building that at the time of Solomon was twenty by twenty by twenty royal cubits, and we know from Ezekiel that it's it's a cubit at a hand, so it's royal cubit. And also at the time of Moses, the Holy of Holies was 10 by 10 by 10 cubits, which is the same measurement as the Queen's Chamber in the Great Pyramid. That measurement is made out of semiconductive stone, is a crystal oscillator with those dimensions. I've been able to mathematically calculate the frequency of the holy of holies so that people can have access to that frequency because it's the frequency that activates the light body and when the light body is getting switched on you start to experience the bliss the, the supreme ecstasy that eradicates the perception of suffering in the nervous system so when you when your light body gets switched on you, you go to, you literally go to a higher frequency and you no longer suffering. And that's, it, but that's what's in the Acts of John that was banned by Pope Leo. Jesus is telling the apostles to dance in the circle. And when he's crucified, he's saying, I suffer none of the things they say of me. Because he's in this high frequency state. And his light body, he actually says this to Philip. He says, if you don't attain the resurrection when you live, when you die, you'll receive nothing. That's iconoclastic against whole thesis of christianity but he says you attain the resurrection in the holy of holies which he calls the bridal chamber so my theory is that the those dimensions exist in in the queen's chamber actually because they're the same as as the um as moses's tabernacle holy of holies in in those days it was a tent 10 by 10 cubits well, that's the queen's chamber. It's 10 by 10 royal cubits on the base, and it's 11 cubits high, and that's because of the, um, the the tent that was actually fit inside of there. Now, the Ark of the Covenant went inside of the Holy of Holies, you see, and at the time of of Solomon and at the time of Ezekiel, the Holy of Holies doubles, which means an octave. So it, well, it sh-
0: We're going to have to wrap it up there, David. Okay. Uh, hold that thought because, as you said, we're going to carry on with this uh next week and humans have been fighting over temple mount for you know hundreds of thousands of years because it's it's a vortex and um whoever controls the circuit living circuit board of the earth uh, will control the earth and i think these globalists know a lot more than most people and they're aware of a lot of this stuff and they've been using this lost sacred knowledge if you want to call it Uh, against us to keep us on this planet but um we've got to wrap it up here i want to thank my guests georgia lambert michael lee hill we had rick levine and david sarita and we will see you next week thank you for joining us get well soon richard and thank you for your time and and attention and um, we'll see you next week folks until then, third star on the left. <laughs> Straight on Phil <laughs> morning. Peace.
5: Peace